And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another live edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where we get to cover the coming revolution. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, last night we discussed at great length with some very interesting guests, David Sarita and Joe Cerletti. Uh, Ron wasn't able to join us because of, uh, uh, shall we say, weather issues. But we had a really in-depth discussion, which, which escalated very nicely. And toward the end of the show, when I talked uh, with Georgia Lambert afterwards, she says, oh, I was dying to get in. I was dying to break it. I said, why didn't you call? Anyway, uh, Georgia's on tonight, and we're going to be kind of examining some of the things we talked about in detail in the last hour last night, in the last hour on this night. And you'll see how, if this all works, this all comes together. Um, the electronics all appear to be very well behaved. The wind shifted. The smoke is cleared. My voice seems to be uh, uh, kind of normal. So we'll cross our fingers and move on. This show tonight. The, the the title, which of course attacks directly this horrible situation vis-a-vis, you know, Uvalde and all the other examples going back year after year after year after year. There's a growing sentiment that I've picked up now, both at the official level and at the grassroots level and in between, that enough is enough is enough. So I want to talk tonight about solutions and I want to talk about causes. Because we're going to talk tonight about something uh, applicable to these mass shootings that, frankly, I think is receiving far too little attention. And I only decided at the last minute to get into all this tonight because I discovered something so stunning, so startling, so shocking in the Uvalde data itself. When I lay this out, you're you're going to see what I mean that it had to be brought to your attention. And what we do with it, if there's anything we can do with it, because we're we're in a society that I don't think is quite ready for some of the modeling that I'm going to propose for why this is repeatedly occurring. But, you know, that's going to be the conversation. Um, What do I want to do? I want to go to the other side of midnight. If you're new to the show, and you're listening on on some device and you don't have your computer or your cell phone actually on, you want to find our URL, theothersideofmidnight.com. You want to click on that. That will show you our tonight's banner. At the very top of the page, just scroll down just a smidge, was Evaldi just the latest in a continuing secret ritual? I mean, this is going to really raise sparks and we're going to get into politics. Warning, we will, but... We have two friends and colleagues here tonight, ultimately joined by a third. We all know each other's work. We all respect each other. So hopefully the conversation will shed far more light than heat on some of the very controversial things we are going to be discussing. So let me start. Um, If you go to uh, uh, the banner and click on the banner, that will take you to the guest page. And then right under that, you'll see uh, to listen to the show. And then there's fast links to items, me, Ron, and Robert. Click on my name. The first item, of course, is president as part of his duties, officially visited Vivaldi today. And there are live updates on that page, and there's background and all that. That's kind of like the news peg. Um, 
Item number two is into the complex background to the reason why item number one appears. Why does the president have to go politically to Ovalde? Because there was another mass shooting of U.S. citizens and no one for decades has apparently done anything effective. When you look at the stats, compare us to any other high-tech civilized country on the planet, we are number one, both in in uh, gun crime, mass gun crime, as well as uh, you know the sheer amount of weapons that are washing around in this society. So yes, tonight at some point we're going to talk about the Second Amendment. We're going to talk about, uh, well, a bunch of stuff. But what I want to do is lift the conversation to a higher level because I want to talk about causes. And Robert and I independently, and this is very important, independently we apparently have arrived at a very similar answer at one level to why does this keep happening so without further ado let me introduce my uh my my first guest of the evening robert morning star is a specialist in photo interpretation geometric analysis and computer imaging he's a graduate of power memorial academy and was a new york state regents scholar at Fordham University, where he received a degree in psychology. And we're going to be talking in depth about psychology tonight, among other things. While at Fordham in 1969, Robert participated in a research fellowship in a U.S. Navy-sponsored program to develop artificial intelligence. Robert's an expert in Chinese language, history, and martial arts. He is an acknowledged uh, Master of the Yang family Tai Chi Quan by the Ho, uh, I'm sorry, Hong Kong Tai Chi Masters Association, and has taught at Oberlin College and Hunter College, the City University of New York. And in 1992 and 93, he worked uh, in the Behavioral Science Department at the International Center for the Disabled. Now you can read, of course, for Robert's full background, which goes on and on and on very nicely. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. But without further ado. Robert Morningstar, come on down. Hi, Richard. Oh, dear, and we have a terrible noise in the background. Um, we, it's a high-pitched hum. It sounds like a power drill. Well, I'm sorry. This is the background noise of New York City. What? No, no, no. Play. There's something running in your room. It sounds, mach, you know, machinery. I'm not running any machinery, and I've turned off all my drives. Are you on a headset mic or on the computer mic? I'm on a computer mic. Oh, that's the problem. You're picking up the drive noise. Okay. Do you have a headset, please? No, I don't have a headset. Keish, we can't do this. Sounds like a shredder. Yeah. Sure, it's not a... All right. Have a good night. Sure. Well, wait, 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 Robert. Robert, we don't know that it's your noise. I know it's not mine. Listen, I know that Richard was saying the other night that uh, the, your, the phone, your phone wasn't working and I could hear you perfectly. There is, and I'm, I, listen, I'm having interference yeah. on the, on the uh, Skype right now. My screen is being overwritten with every kind of uh, patch and heart. And uh, the, so I think we're being interfered with. Okay, let's, let, let us try this. Let's recycle the count and try the phone. All right. Phone's much harder to interfere with. Okay, give me a call. Okay. Keith? Working on it. Thank you. So, Robert, you are uh, – Robert. Ron, you are with us. <laughs> yes. 
And I notice I still hear that noise in the background, even with Robert offline. So it's it's not coming from his phone anyway. Well, that will be important if we can eliminate the source. Kintia, are you online? I'm muted. It's still there. Yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, I hear it as well. It just now, stopped. Now it stopped. Yeah, I think that was the disconnection of... Do you all like all this backstage radio, folks, you know? That's what happens Absolutely. when you listen to a live show. Yeah, that's why we tune in. It's the good stuff. <laughs> Very funny. Um, yeah, the audience likes it. Yeah, I think that was the time lag between when you tell Skype to go away and it finally decides grumpily to do that. Mm-hmm. So we will hopefully be able to connect with the phone. You know, in in decades, phone technology has advanced. Of course, Art was always very unhappy with cell phones, but I think they have improved. I've I've had lots of phones patched into the board here that have sounded just about like Skype. So let's see uh, uh, when Keith can bring him up. So in the meantime, why don't we choose this yeah. opportunity, Hello? Ron, to talk? Hello. Whoop. Hello, I'm here. Oh, Robert. Yes. The noise is not your fault, Robert, whatever it is. I know. Okay. Well, I did a show. I did a two-hour show today to commemorate John F. Kennedy's birthday and uh, read his uh, the Forbidden Dallas speech for which he was killed. I recorded it. It was perfect. People heard it. They loved it. There was nothing. We're being interfered with. So anyway, I'm sure the phone sounds better. It's, it's sharp. The noise is in the background, and maybe when – can see processes the tape we can filter out because it seems to be a single high-pitched whine. Yeah, it's still there. Robert? Not at the, I'm not here. right there. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It stopped. Now it's stopped. I think it was in the Yeah, it sounds like a, it's it sounds to me like a bulk feeder for a printer or something. I think you've got line noise and I you have had a lot of interference and uh, issues with your own internet, Richard. And very often you said I can't hear there's background noise uh, while you're talking to a guest and like Ron at times all, and I've been all true. hearing perfectly. So just resign to this. So there's line noise too. You know? Oh, well, I okay. not, not not like this. If somebody doesn't want us to talk about this, it means we're going to talk about something they don't want us to talk about. So, Robert, kind of yes. re- rewind the conversation you and I had a couple of days ago when you kind of relayed to me what your independent examination of this latest catastrophe was telling you. And then well, I will – go yeah, ahead. Basically that um, these mass school shootings from Columbine on have turned into a ritual. Uh, you know, protocols, those are rituals. And Columbine, the cops showed up, the shooting was going on, and they waited outside three hours before they went in. The other thing that uh, bugs me about Newtown and Parkland and Uvalde is there's always a uh, shooter drill a couple of days or weeks uh, or a week or two before it happens. This uh, Uvalde, the latest news that I have for you is that the Uvalde shooter, Salvador Ramos, was in contact with the Buffalo shooter, Peyton Gendron, through a website called Discord. 
And apparently these two fellas were uh, exchanging ideas and views about uh, shootings. And there seems to have been a third person who was acting as a moderator. And that's something that no one on, in the news has, uh, has uh, reported. This is information wait, 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 wait. coming. Hang on, hang on. You mean as of yet? As of tonight on your show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. They're, they're not telling you this. Well, it, well, it, it, it will eventually get reported. It's just about the time lag. Yeah. Well, as you know, I have a, a wide network of uh, investigators and intelligence uh, helpers. And I'd like to thank John and David, who have helped me with compiling that long list that I've submitted. This is the first time I haven't submitted one single picture. <laughs> but I know the compendium. It's a compendium of all the most pertinent, pertinent news articles that have come out. And the most important ones are at the bottom. And okay. I will recommend people pay attention to those two. I'll get around to them. But this is, this is right in line with the shootings that I mentioned before. Parkland, uh, Sandy Hook, uh, Columbine, and uh, several others. And it always involves a disturbed youth um, who's been spotted before with, uh, with a lot of uh, problems, emotional problems, uh, social discord uh, in, among his peers. And we're getting a really weird story about uh, Ramos, and they're trying to paint him as a person who was bullied. Quite the opposite. One of his uh, classmates came out recently, a young fellow whose family name is Arellano, and he said, I have to come out and tell you this. I'm putting this out. He wasn't being bullied. He was the bully. Ramos was the bully and that he was mean. He said he was a bad person because he liked to hurt animals. Now, the other weird things are, if you look at his picture, the kid does look disturbed. His, um, his eyes bear a very, very sinister look that the Japanese call seppaku. And the Chinese call three-sided wide eye or wolf eyes. It's when the when the pupil doesn't touch the top of the eye, uh, the top lid and the bottom lid, uh, and produces an eye that has white on both sides. The eye will either drop down or the eye will rise up, and you'll see three-sided white eye. That's what the Chinese uh, call it. And this is something that I learned from the the foremost. Uh, Master of Chinese physiognomy was Dr. Timothy Marr, and he wrote a book called Chinese Face Reading, and I had the privilege of knowing him and studying under him in 1976 and 77, and he taught me how to find these, these to see these traits. Now, the interesting thing about three-sided white eye... When you say three-sided, are we talking about collateral triangle? We're talking about seeing white on both sides of the uh, iris and white either under or above. That would be roughly you, an example. You know, like when you a... roll your eyes up, when, you go, when people roll yeah. their eyes up, look up into the top yeah, of their sure, heads. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's the recited because the eye shows white on the sides and on the bottom. Now, if there's, a, there's one that's even worse, 
And that's when the eye shows white all around. And the, the Chinese call that snake eyes. And that is a violent, uh, psychopathic person, uh, quite easily capable of murder. The, the three-sided white eye, which this kid has, and if you've seen the picture that looks like a mugshot, real close up, and he's kind of, he looks also drugged, and I'll talk about the drug element. Yeah, I, I have not seen his picture. Um, let, me, let me ask this. Um, do we have any data besides Chinese folklore about this? Well, it's a Japanese tradition. It's an Oriental art to uh, Chinese, uh, well, um, yeah, but you, I, I, you, I, you, you have a degree in I, psychology. I, I'm just wondering help. if Western science has looked at this and said, oh, yeah, these traits can be reflected in the eyes. Well, I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen any uh, peer-reviewed literature on it, but uh, cops know what I'm talking about. Right, I, mean, I believe it is recognized by mainstream psychology. They just don't. You, there's no single explanation for it. So the but, Oriental but see, view but of see, it. But see, if if, yeah. if if you could tell on a driver's license photo if someone is going to ultimately someday be whacked out enough to take a gun and go and do something bad, wouldn't you think you'd have those people? kind of looked at a little more closely if there's real science I think, they should. I think they should but of course or or does it exist but it but it hang on does it exist but it's basically only for the in crowd so they can use their shooters among the background I population so. I would think so but here's the interesting thing the three white-sided eye doesn't always indicate uh, a killer. It can also indicate a person who is going to be the victim of violence. And in that regard, it's very interesting that in the last year of President Kennedy's life, there are photographs where he shows that trait. And of course, he is the ultimate victim of, of, a, of a murder. But it's generally associated with a psychopathic or sociopathic person. And it's quite appropriate to hear the the sirens in the background. The, I was going to say, if, if, if you have yeah. to leave because the building's on fire, just tell us. No, I'm not. The building's <laughs> not on fire. <laughs> I've actually had fires in the building. Well, if we're fire. under attack, who knows where they'll stop. So <clears throat> go ahead. Well, let me get back to this because um, I really want to uh, uh, give you this profile of Ramos, okay? So one of his classmates said he was the bully, not the bully, that he was mean, and his words were he was a bad person because he liked to hurt animals. And if you read that um, the orchestrator, the orchestration article at the bottom of my list, orchestrating a mass shooting, you'll find that the fellow in Buffalo also had also had that trait and boasted about decapitating cats. So this is another trait that needs to be looked at. Meanness to animals is just one step removed from meanness to human beings. See, what I don't understand, look, this is not my field, so I'm going to ask a lot of dumb questions. As a psychologist, in terms of the field of psychology, given that since 2004, I think, we've been dealing with a rising crescendo of these mass shootings, wouldn't you think if there was an organized body of knowledge that could kind of flag the possible perpetrators before, like growing up, being manhandled by families, the usual insanity of some kid, wouldn't you think there'd be a body of knowledge where we could anticipate 
someone like this guy just because everybody knows he's horrible to animals. I mean, come on, that's a huge I cert- red I certainly flag. do. I certainly do. And it's, you know, that's the getting into the realm of that movie, Majority Report. Ah. Uh, pre-crime, yeah. you know? Yeah. That, Ma- so, Minority Report. Ma- it was, it was, a minority, minority yeah. report. Yeah, with, with Tom you, Cruise. You look at that movie and you say, "Look, this technology is here already." You know, they know, but because you don't want to use a person's looks, right, uh, as an excuse for inferring criminal behavior, that you can't act on it. No, but wait, 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 wait. Should, hang on, hang on. All, have, uh, all that, all, all that is, all that is, is an indicator that these people need to be subjected to a battery of psychological tests. It's, but then you put them in the hands of a shrink who then the psychological battery of tests could turn into battery and, and actually push them over over the line. It's a, it's a very, very uh, difficult, difficult thing uh, to deal with. But on my show today, Dr. Raymond Singer, who I'd wanted to have on the show, but he can't stay up this late. Uh, he oh. doesn't that really. He pulls <laughs> out three, he pulls out three or four textbooks uh, that... Uh, one is called Why They Kill and uh, Violence uh, Violence and Mass Shootings. And he, ha- he had the three books. Um, I can ask him tomorrow uh, to give us the titles. But, but there is literature there, but it's, people don't pay attention to it. The media doesn't want to uh, cover it. But this is, this is the fact. When you look, look at Adam Lanza, the, the kid who shot up uh, Newtown mm-hmm. and the Sandy Hook school, mm-hmm. same thing. Look at his eyes. He has the same kind of eyes, the same three, three-sided white eye, three white-sided so eye. So you would say, again... Eyes. It's called wolf eyes, by the way. When it's three sides, it's called wolf eyes. Okay. And when it's uh, all four sides, it's snake eyes. Well, so given, given uh, when, 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 when Chinese, 5,000-year-old Chinese, you know, medicine looks at this, what was, what's their recommendation? What do they say the, the uh, I'm looking for the right word here, the, the, remedy? the, the, the um, person holding these traits, what would be, exactly, what's the remedy? What, what, do you, what, what did the Chinese do? Well, it's interesting you should ask because this skill, this art, is used for two things. One is diagnostic, medical diagnosis, and the other one is prognostication or fortune-telling or mm-hmm. future uh, fate-telling. Uh, the position of the ears relative to the brow, the, the position or the shape of the cheeks in relationship to the chin and the nose, there are five points, but in, in total there are 77, uh, 78 points on the face that deal with uh, wrinkles and furrows and uh, scowl lines, so what, for example. So what you're saying is the Chinese database, which again is 5,000 years, give or take, and yeah. very, very pragmatic, very empirical, it developed a code so that you could tell the yes. consciousness of the person inside by yes. what was molded of their appearance. By emotions outside. on the outside. Let me give you one simple example. It doesn't deal with murder. Um, I studied this, you know, as I said, since 1977. And I started to notice certain furrows and wrinkles on the brow. And over years, I had three people who committed suicide. And in the days before they committed suicide, I noticed a unique 
wrinkles and furrows on the brow that looked like not lines, uh, not horizontal lines and not just vertical lines, but both at the same time. It looked to me like a tic-tac-toe wrinkle. And sadly, one of these people was my cousin. And over the years, I learned to recognize that. A couple of years went by, and I have a dear friend and a Tai Chi student who was utterly devoted to her mother. And when her mother died, it was devastating. So she came to me, and we did Tai Chi, and we were talking, and I was in the kitchen, and I looked at her brow, and I, I saw it. I saw the, the wrinkle and, of a suicide. And I subtly said to her, um, Shay, would it be all right uh, with you if I touch your forehead? And she said, no, sure, go right ahead. So I took my thumb and I put it on the tic-tac-toe wrinkle Mm -hmm. and and I rubbed it and I rubbed it till it disappeared. And then she said, oh, I feel a lot better. So... A couple of years later, I told this story on the radio. Mm-hmm. She called me up and she said, Robert, is that person you were talking about me? Oh, my. I said, as a matter of fact, it was. It was you. And she said, well, you know, you're right. I was thinking of killing myself at that time. Oh, my. Yeah, it, it's, it's quite stunning. And it's really... It's really painful to me to have this insight and have this knowledge and not be able to broach the subject because I can't talk to strangers about it, but I, I do know how to put myself on guard and be aware that that um, these people, certain people have a propensity either for violence toward others or violence toward themselves. But, but hang on, so, hang on. You know, there's how many, how many billion Chinese today? Excuse me, one and a half. Four is rate 1.4 billion. Okay. With a society that ancient and that complex and that interesting, you, I'm, I'm fascinated how this, this modality for analysis. In other words, you could machine automate this, where you take people's pictures and you Mm -hmm. see the ones that are at risk, Mm -hmm. and you could automate it. You could, in other words, if we're serious about mental health, as, of course, the GOP is now saying, oh, more mental health, while Abbott cut $200 million from the Texas mental health budget just the other day, just a few days before Evaldi. And then he said, well, mental health is obviously the answer. If, if the mental health community had the resources, could we not use this technique based on a culture with 5,000 years of empirical, it works? Forget how you know it works. You don't need to know it works. Just know it works. And well, I don't think so because people don't stay in the same emotional state uh, 24-7. And uh, these characteristics but, emerge. But, but, at, but everybody's yeah. taking selfies. Current. Yes. There are so many but, images. So you put an AI on the thing. You look through mm-hmm. your database. People are refreshing their images. Uh, you can even make it like a personal app where it would tell you, um, you may need to talk to somebody. Well, you know, Richard, I, I use it uh, regularly on Facebook. People send me uh, friend requests, and I, I used to accept everyone, but after having experienced uh, some real uh, 
whack jobs, crazy people, um, infiltrators, uh, enemies, you know. I check everyone, and uh, to be quite frank uh, with you, I do use it in analyzing the, the pictures that they put out. They think they're good pictures, you know, like they look good in this picture, but uh, I will see some of these characteristics, and I'll say, uh-uh, not this one, uh, oh, on to the next one. So it's a very... Um, well, by the way, since I mentioned it, uh, it's a very hard book to get, but it's called Chinese Face Reading by Dr. Timothy Marr, M-A-R-R, a wonderful man. He was one of the last Hanlin scholars. He was educated in the Imperial Academy before the Republic of China, and he came to the West, and he told me a very interesting thing. Okay, well, he hold said, on, hold on, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. Time okay. Is, time is fugitive. This is fascinating, Robert. Hold it right there. My guest this morning, first guest, and uh, Ron Gerbron is kind of hanging around the background, uh, accumulating data, and we'll have some comment, I'm sure, when we return. I want us to post, uh, Robert, as you can hear me, I want you to post or send to Keith the link to this Chinese doctor's book, because this, this is really interesting, and we'll get into why it might work when Georgia joins us in the third hour. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're talking tonight about how can we stop, finally, this insanity of mass shootings in the United States rising on an exponential curve with nobody, apparently, with a clue as to how to get to the bottom of this and uh, arrest this awful, awful trend. We shall return. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
and welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, May 29th. Memorial Day is tomorrow. End of the week. What's going to happen this coming week? You know, you almost kind of don't want to ask that. My first guest this morning is Robert Morningstar, and he was talking to us about the fascinating practice, obviously based in a, an empirical reality in Chinese 5,000-year-old civilization, that you can actually tell what's going on inside a person by looking at their faces. Robert, please continue. Yes, uh, you asked me to send the link, and I, I found a copy. It's very expensive. It's not, it's not a print. Um, it's $100. It's $100 for a hard copy and uh, $90 for uh, $98 for a paperback. But it's called Face Reading, the Chinese Art of Physiognomy by Dr. Timothy Marr. Excellent. Timothy so Keith, so, Keith, let's post that as his last item at the moment so it, people can find it easily in his list right there at the bottom. So, so please go on. Okay, so these, the, these, um, these skills can be used. Uh, as, a, as, as some kind of screening. Not just, yeah, not, not just um, you know, potential killers, but uh, various maladies, uh, you know, depression, uh, hyperactivity, uh, all, all kinds of things. So let's, Robert? I wanna, yes, I want to move on from, from that yeah. to Ramos. Well, hang on, hang on. Uh, Ron, Ron okay. you, have, you have a question? Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, no I had a, a clinical, um, somewhat clinical question for uh, Robert. Well, it's not really a question. It's just uh, to avoid anyone that's listening to the show from looking in the mirror and going, oh, my God, I must be a psycho killer. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you have to worry about these things. Uh, two clinical facts. One, the human eye only comes in three sizes doesn't matter if you're eight feet tall or four foot one. Uh, there's only three sizes of eyeballs for 99.99999% of the population, uh, small, medium, and large. Uh, that has an effect on these, and it doesn't, it doesn't refer, because I had heard of this before Robert and I were talking about it the other day, uh, doesn't refer to um, what we used to call goggle eyes, uh, the Deschanel sisters, both very beautiful actresses. One of the uh, Renee was the uh, played the forensic uh, anthropologist on that TV show Bones, and of course Zoe, her sister, um, the cuter one, I'd say, uh, has that uh, what's it called? That girl or something? It was a comedy show that's that's been around for years, and they both have eyes that are pretty much like that all the time. But it's because the eyes bulge a little. That's that's a different yeah, trait altogether. All you people don't worry about it. Yeah. Some conditions, uh, you know, uh, uh, some thyroid conditions can produce it. But I would say mm -hmm. it's not a bad idea to check yourself out and do self-diagnosis because you will know. You know the person will know, do I have thoughts like that? But it also can mm -hmm. be corrected. It can be corrected if a person yeah. realizes that they have that, that characteristic and that it's, well, for example... Why am not get, why am I not getting the job? Well, maybe because you're looking at the boss like a wolf. You know, that's one of the, <laughs> yeah. Well, one, I said the, the Chinese term a wolf eye is very very eyes. apt. Because, I'm talking yeah, it, about it. It's called wolf yeah. eyes. And also, yeah. you can do it yourself. Just go up to the mirror, pitch your head down, 
and look up at the mirror and you'll see the white under your eye and it looks like you're going to be ready to leap and that's what a wolf looks like pounces so yes people can do yeah. self-diagnostics and check out these characteristics and correct them i mean it takes work and well, you know, uh, I, guys, guys, yeah. we don't, we don't, we have three hours. That's not an infinite amount of time. And I want to get on yeah. to farmer assessment. Well, I just want to, but to, but uh, uh, what I wanted to establish, uh, Robert, was the background, the foundation, yes. you know, right. for looking at his photos, uh, this rainbow yes. guy, and saying mm-hmm. there's something wrong here. So let's oh, let's, well, let's let oh, let's take it to the next step. Yeah, but first, first of all, uh, to test what I say. Go and look at pictures of criminals and look at pictures in particular of the criminals that I'm going to talk about now, which are Mexican cartel narco traffickers. And my, you and I talked about, wait, where does the guy get $7,000 on his debit card, not having graduated from high school and accordingly to some working in a McDonald's? I don't think that happens, but it does happen that young people, especially in Texas along the border, can wax rich by pushing drugs. And we know that for the last eight to 10 years, the narco traffickers have been recruiting young Americans, uh, in in many cases, for uh, transporting illegals across the border, and for those, they were looking for the Anglo types, the young teenagers, um, who would not be suspect, as would be a person like like Ramos. Now, Ramos, I believe, he looks drugged in the photograph as well. He was saying, we used to say, he looks doped up, right? His eyelids are droopy, His he's showing the three-sided white eye, uh, he's not looking at the camera, and uh, I believe that he's, let me just another background. His fa- his grandfather had a prior criminal record. He said it on camera. He says I can't have guns in the house because of a prior criminal record that I have. And uh, so where were the guns? They were in his house. It was just what they were in his. So well, no, he went and bought the, them right after his birthday. Yes, yes, and I the know, ammo. I know. And he and he hid them, and uh, and, so, and 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 the vests and the you know armor and all that. Yes, well that's what I'm saying. Where did the money come from? My suspicion is that this kid was being recruited and he was being bullied by Mexican cartel narco traffickers, and that he himself was hooked on drugs. Hence that appearance of him in the full face shot that was uh, published has been published uh, many places, but from the now, Epic now Times. We need to put the frame around this. This is all speculation. We have no concrete yes, data. Yet. Speculation. Speculation is a very legitimate uh, investigative tool. Oh, of course it is. I'm just wanting people what, to understand. It's what's needed before you make an inference. So you have to do a lot of speculation before you put all the information together and make an inference. Speculation comes from speculo in Latin and speculare, to look, to observe, to gather facts. But now in the mass media, it, and uh, it's used as a disparaging remark. So I always stand up for speculation and for inference. Well, it's part of a process. Exactly. Exactly. So, yes, it is speculation. We look around. 
We pick out the most important and pertinent facts. We hold on to them. We discard the irrelevant. And then we put all of those facts or observations together <clears throat> to come to a conclusion. My conclusion is that Ramos was hooked on drugs by a Mexican cartel, uh, narco-traffickers, that he was pushing drugs himself, and that he gained uh, a lot of money as a result, but also that he was being manipulated and uh, angled uh, exactly into this. If you, When you look and read that uh, next to the last article, which is orchestration, the orchestration of mass killings, a very, very insightful um, report with some comments by a fellow who was in the U.S. Army and in PSYOPs, and he gives details on how they pick an individual. Uh, well, basically, we use the, the word that uh, the English use uh, for uh, preparing girls for uh, sexual exploitation, grooming. They will groom the potential uh, assailant, the potential shooter. They'll pick him out and they'll work him over and they'll interact with him and they will start to supply him with information that outrages him. They will also interfere in their personal lives. For example, um, the example given is uh, working with uh, a black guy that they want to groom into a killer and feeding him a lot of anti-white inflammatory information. And then if the guy has uh, a girlfriend to intrude into his life and break up the relationship and say to the guy, oh, the white guy stole your girlfriend. That's just the example given by this army guy of a process whereby a a victim, because these people are victims if they're being so manipulated to go out and kill people and ultimately wind up dead themselves, they too are being victimized. But uh, it's a very well-known process. Uh, it goes back uh, to having... Wait, 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 wait. What you're describing was laid yes. out in that incredibly brilliant film in the 1950s with Angela Lansbury and Frank Sinatra and Lawrence Harvey, The, Mer yes. the, Manchurian, the Manchurian Candidate. Eight. I'm glad you brought that up because everyone in the United States was manipulated by that movie. And I'm going to tell you a very shocking thing. First of all, the Manchurian candidate was not the shooter. Raymond Shaw was not the Manchurian candidate. The Manchurian candidate was the vice presidential candidate that he killed at the end, who was the communist plant. The plan was he was groomed to kill the presidential candidate so that the vice presidential candidate could pick up his body and make this big thing, uh, blood on his shirt, like Jesse Jackson at the Martin Luther King uh, 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 slaying, and take over the party. The Manchurian candidate in that movie was James Gregory, the communist plant who was going to run as vice president and then, in that case, they were going to kill the presidential candidate, so he'd ascend to, to the uh, presidential ticket. But the most important thing about this movie, and it's something it took me 33 years to, to, that's, to, to that's fathom, a, that's an to discover. Number. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I was uh, in high school in 1962, right, the year before President Kennedy was uh, assassinated, and I went to see that movie. 
And even then I was interested in psychology. And, and the movie uh, puzzled me on many levels, you know, like the change from uh, the, the scene where it changes from the um, the operating room arena where all the communist commissars from different countries are watching the uh, mind control apparatus being exercised on Raymond Shaw and his and Frank Sinatra and his platoon who were captured by the North Koreans, kidnapped, taken back, worked over, then put back right? mm -hmm. to, be, to become sleepers. Okay. But the thing that bugged me about that movie was why did they get an English actor to play an American Marine when Hollywood had to be full of American? Well, you could have taken Robert Mitchum, Wayne, any. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's his name? Uh, Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin was a real U.S. Marine, and he was he was in the in the Battle of. Uh, uh, Saipan and Okinawa, and, and all later so he was he was in that brilliant film, The Dirty Dozen. Remember? That's right. That's right. Well, let's get this. So I get involved. I discover the doctrine of the Zapruder film. Then I discover the the the, the, the mangling of the forensic evidence, the swapping of the body of Tippett for JFK. And then I said to myself, you know, I, I really got to review all of the the best and most important assassination movies that have ever been made. Mm. And so I went back through my repertoire from childhood. And interestingly, the first movie that came up is Suddenly. And who's in it? Frank Sinatra. The next movie was The Manchurian Candidate. The mo next movie after that was The Jackal and then Behold the Pale Horse with Gregory Peck. So I decided to review all these movies and to get there's a message. You know, we now know about predictive programming and subliminal seduction. So I start going through the films, you know. I see suddenly, and, uh, wow, Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. And then I watched uh, The Jackal. And then I go to The Manchurian Candidate. And this was an epiphany. I turn on the VCR. I start running the movie. And then I see the names. Manchurian Candidate, starring Frank Sinatra. Angela Lansbury, James Gregory, and introducing as Raymond Shaw, do you remember his name? Wasn't it Lawrence Harvey? Yes, sir. And I had a hallucination <laughs> because when his name came up, I saw a giant L, a small A, a small uh, U, a small R, a big E, and a small C, and a big E. Lee Harvey was embedded in the English actor's name that the American public saw for a year before the John F. Kennedy assassination. Now, that's interesting. Yes, it is. I mean, again, it could be could be coincidence, but this is looking really Well, you hear another coincidence. So, hey, wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. When, when did the mentoring Kennedy come out? I don't remember. 62. Then Kennedy's death. I was in death. eighth grade. Okay, so, so his death in 63. Grade. So, well... I mean, if, if, if someone do we do you have any background on the film? Who wrote it? Who did the screenplay? Who decided to produce it? Oh, yeah, the, who put uh, the was, money? Yeah. Because to me, yeah. if if this was a forewarning, like 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 a like a deep cover forewarning, or John, Franken, John Frankenheimer was the director. Ah. And here's the really interesting thing. 
I've learned that President Kennedy wanted to have that film made. Really? And he, yes, he did. He wanted to have that film made, and he... Uh, well, you know the other film that Kennedy absolutely insisted be made. Was? Seven Days in May. Oh, of course. Yes! Well, you put, you put the two together. If you put those two films together, you will have uh, an overlay of the John F. Kennedy assassination. Because it was the deep state and it was the CIA. Uh, now, the thing I was going to say about um, choosing Lawrence Harvey as the actor, it bears on, uh, on Lee Oswald because, you know, the story about Lee Oswald was that he defected to the Soviet Union and that he uh, betrayed America and renounced his citizenship. And yet, the State Department gave him back his passport and let him bring into the United States as a wife a woman, Marina. Maria, Maria Prosikova, who had been a member of Komsomol, which is the Communist Youth uh, League, and the niece of a high-ranking MKVD um, police officer, a colonel. It, it, the MKVD was like the FBI of the Soviet Union, and they let him bring her back. He went over there as a um, double agent. Yeah, of course. And he, and he got a job in the uh, Minsk radio factory. But get this. The point is, Lawrence Harvey, that was not his real name. He was actually – he actually had a Slavic name, and he was born in Lithuania. He came out of the Soviet Union. So I believe that that was a huge – mind control operation that the deep state found out that president kennedy wanted this movie made and they kind of hijacked the casting to use it to prepare the american public for a year later when lee harvey not lawrence harvey um would be the patsy wow that's how deep mind control goes so that See, the question I have, it's not the theoretical part of this that I, I really uh, uh, disagree with. I just disagree with the, with the actual practical technology because I don't know of any mind control back to and including the brainwashing and all that from the 50s and North Korea and all that that really ultimately works. It's 100%. Oh, well, the Russians perfected it. The Russian, here's another thing. The Russians were doing brain implants in the back of the head behind the right ear and, and uh, implanting electronic devices that they could use to uh, control people. They could uh, make them hear voices in their heads. They could give them terrible headaches. Uh, they could affect the behavior. And the reason it's in the back of the head, it's uh, very close to the brain stem. Uh, the uh, medulla oblongata. Okay, well, let, let's, let's, then, hang on. Let's, let's bring this back to Uvalde because we could do this Okay, all okay, night. Uvalde. Well, the point is that this kid has all the uh, signs of having been uh, manipulated, uh, brutalized. The other part... So hang on, hang on. How long does it take? And there may not be any way to know this. I mean, your psychological background might give you some, but to me... The breaking down of a human will, so the person becomes the slave of whoever is controlling them yep. or running them or whatever, is not an easy process. It takes no. a lot of no. time, and it takes a lot of stress and a lot of concentrated effort, 
and you you see this in the reports of the so-called um, oh what do they call those uh, oh butter monarchs. Yeah, the monarchs. Yeah, I was going to say that. But this kid's only eighteen. He lives in a small town. He's got grandparents and a pa- uh, two parents and all that. When did he disappear? When, when, when did he disappear long enough? for someone to do this to where he will walk in to an elementary school and massacre 19 fourth graders. He doesn't have to disappear because now with cell phones, uh, the people, have, whoever was controlling him had direct access to him anytime. Yeah, but don't you so, have to actually feed no, it, it, him? No, it takes time. It definitely takes don't time. You need, don't, you need, don't you need to feed the subject a litany of drugs and stimuli that basically break the consciousness and remold it in the yes. uh, runner's I would, say, I would say it can be done in a year, depending on whether the person is unconscious of the event or willing. If it's I willing, could do it in three weeks. Yeah, you probably could, you're, Ron. You're you know, forgetting Pat. You're forgetting Patty. Lured into a gang. And yes. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I, I, hang on. Hang on. Ron, Ron, Robert. Robert. Please. Pay attention. Yeah. I believe, Ron, you're referring to Patty Hearst. Yes. Yeah. Talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Let's let Ron talk uh, about Patty Hearst and why three weeks. Come on. You don't boast about something like okay. this. No, 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 no. It's, uh, the point is that you, what you need is to have someone that is not psychologically anchored very well. They're drifting. So you they pick the no... right target. You pick a sensitive, yes. totally open, wounded person who is basically in some kind of consciousness um, degradation. And you right, use that opportunity. Dis- yeah, they've already destroyed their own value system by convincing ah. themselves that, that, they, uh, uh, that the whole world's against them and all this other stuff. That comes out of them. You just find the right target. And you can um, – dist- they're much easier to manipulate, to destroy their value system. And somebody that was relatively frivolous in their perspective, like um, Patty Hearst, you know, that's easy. That's easy, uh, so to speak. <clears throat> okay, well, okay. Robert, go well, ahead. I don't think – yeah, so I – yeah, go ahead. I just want to say I don't, it doesn't take a that's year and good, it doesn't – Very good point. They break the person down, and if you start with a person that already has low self-esteem or they have high self-esteem and you break it down, for example, with uh, self-hatred, right? Yeah. Uh, white people are guilty. Uh, white society is guilty of every crime in creation. Nothing is good about the founding fathers, all of that malarkey. That yeah. wears down the person. So uh, here we have a Mexican boy. Or he may have been Salvadoran. I know. I think he was Mexican. So, he, regardless, working on that person. But I wanted to say there was another strange characteristic besides being mean to animals and wanting to hurt animals. The boy hurt himself. He claimed to slash his face and um, make cuts on his face and go into school and he said, "Hey, what happened to you? Who did that?" And he'd say, "I did it." You know. But we know when you look at the pictures of these. Mexican cartel narco criminals that uh, face scarring, tattooing, uh, all of these um, mutilations are part of the initiation. Okay, so, well, I, I, I need to speed this up just a bit, okay? So, okay, so, 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 you know, forgive me. 
you've got this guy, and you made a good case that he probably was a mule for the cartels, and they probably supplied him with enough money that when he wanted his fantasy, which is two AK-47s for his birthday, 18th birthday, and a 400 you know rounds of ammunition hollow point, I believe, he was able to go and buy them, plus the armor and who knows what else. Why would the – if we're talking about grooming, if we're talking about patterning, if we're talking about a Manchurian candidate, why would the Mexican drug cartel want to kill 19 kids in Uvalde? Because they hate the United States, because they want to inflame oh, the Robert, situation. Oh, Robert, come on. That, that, that's oh, you think that, the cartel loves the United States? What does Uvalde have to do with the United States? It's another town, mostly Mexican. They're kindred. Yes. It's like Ukraine yes. and Russia. This makes no sense yes. at that level. So yeah, I think he screwed his benefactors is what happened. Mexican community against the local government and against the federal government and exploit that hatred to their advantage. That's why. Okay, clearly that's... I don't think the FBI... Clearly that is speculative. Because I would agree that this guy was programmed to do this. And I have evidence to back that up. But the question is to who did it? That is what we got to try to get to the bottom of tonight. Because this is not about Mexicans or cartels. This is a, quote, deep state global intelligence operation. Oh, yes, I agree. So we need, to get, we need to get to the deepest level and what the deepest agenda, because this, yeah. this is part of a decades-long agenda. And mass killings are happening all around the world and all across the United States. And when people don't have guns, they use knives in London and they use bows and arrows in Norway. This mm-hmm. is something that is global. And uh, it bears looking into, and that's why I say it's an occult ritual. And that's why I put the article down there at the bottom about, uh, but you know who? Moloch, sacrificing children to Moloch. Okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Come on, on, let's let's not, you know. So um, I'm looking at the very frame around Uvalde. If this was supposed to be a secret, high-level, deep state, another covert operation where we build a public you know, uh, psychosis against guns and we wind up with confiscation and all that, they really blew it. I mean, they really blew it. So what happened to make it so outrageously obvious that for 30 plus, no, 90 minutes plus, these guys were told to stand down? They're just milling around in the hallway outside the door and there's cell phone calls from inside and they can hear the kids' screams and cries and they do. This has to be the conditioning of all those 19 officers, not just this kid. Exactly. That's why I say that a protocol is a ritual. And that's why they waited outside at Columbine. They waited outside at uh, Sandy Hook. And well, well, hang, Sandy on, hang Hook. on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Columbine, I will, I will excuse, and I'll tell you why. Columbine was old rules. When you had that kind of scenario, the old protocol was you waited for backup, et cetera, et cetera. It was a hostage situation. But, see, mass shootings were brand new in 1994. Is that when that happened? Yeah. Um, So them waiting was just stuck with dumb rules that didn't apply to the new environment. The Uvalde police waiting was absolutely 
in, in, indefensible. There's no reason. None. Zero. The, the Uvalde police were waiting. The Parkland police were waiting. The Sandy Hook police were waiting. And I was watching the Sandy Hook while it was happening. You know, that was a live uh, broadcaster. And there was a second suspect who ran out of the school, ran into the woods, and I saw him captured by the police. And they took him, and they handcuffed him, and they sat him in the front seat of a police cruiser there, and the helicopters were hovering around and taking uh, videos of this guy, and then uh, he was released, and no information about him was given, and uh, a real, really weird cover story. Uh, uh, back to that. Uh, yeah. another uh, Robert, thing. hang on. I have blown through the break at the top of the hour, so we're going to have to do some editing. Everyone pause. Okay. We will come back. My guests this morning are Robert uh, Morningstar, colleague, longtime friend, someone who has been part of uh, this show since uh, it's almost, I guess, at the very beginning. And we have our resident generalist, Ron Gerbron, and Case Morgan's in the background, and way over there, I think I see Kinsia. She might have something to contribute in the third hour. You're on the other side of Midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're grappling with this impossible subject to discuss without, you know, falling off the edge of the table. And in Uvalde, and is it part of a long-term, decades-long pattern leading us in some direction that all of us, except these guys, do not want to go? We shall return. The site of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back, everybody, on this Sunday night. Um, coming up on Monday morning, not too far from now. My guest this morning, Robert Morningstar and Ron Gerbron, and we're talking about Ovalde. And we're trying to go down through layer after layer after layer to provide the evidence and substantiate the idea that maybe these are not independent, mass, random you know, breakdown of, of the psychology of young, you know, male students, but there actually may be something much more insidious, much more organized, much more, well, frankly, malevolent. And my intention is to try to get to the heart of where is this really coming from? Is this just about politics, global geopolitics? Is it about making money? Is it about, you know, the NRA? Is it about, you know, the increase in fear in the country where everyone now on average owns four or five guns? Obviously, most people don't. It's a very small percentage of people that own, you know, treasure chests of weaponry. But the number is growing. It's not diminishing. And that's a a dramatic difference between just decades ago when the number of guns and gun owners was actually going down in the United States. Um, that's the backdrop of this morning's conversation. I, 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 I want to get to something, uh, Robert, and I need to turn off something here, um, that I found absolutely stunning, absolutely stunning. And I'm using that term very, very assiduously here, okay? So let me go back to my items. I can find where they are. There we are, okay. I direct everybody's attention to item number two. I found this easily with a very brief search. Um, This is called, it's a website called Behind the Tower, the new histories of the UT Tower shooting. Now, for those of you who are too young to remember, or for those of you who weren't uh, uh, even born when this happened, back on August 1st, 1966, a guy named Charles Whitten, a 25-year-old student at the University of of Texas climbed a famous landmark in Austin. For coincidence, Austin is just up the street from Uvalde. And this became the first mass shooting because Whitman sat in that tower for night at the top of the tower for 96 minutes with sandwiches, with ammo, with canteens of water. And he pathetically with, I don't remember the rifle uh, model. um, He picked off one by one, like a sniper, 14 people and killed them on the spot. He wounded 30 and two people who were among the wounded later died uh, from their wounds. One within weeks and the other uh, a few years later, but it was surgically attributed to the uh, uh, damage he suffered under, under the shootings. This was the first mass shooting in the United States of America with an ordinary long gun, the kind that Governor Abbott said the other day, oh, we can buy those in Texas for the last 150 years. Well, long guns, 3030s, are nothing compared to an AK-47 or an AR-15. But here's my point. As I'm reading through the history, I was stunned, Robert, stunned, because this is what is really moving me in the direction, again, evidence, that we're dealing with a long-term, definitely malevolent psychological plan to do this on an escalating scale. 
here's my here's my data point from Texas from 1966, 56 years before Evaldi. Um, on August 1st, 1966, a 25-year-old University of Texas student, Charles Whitman, went up to the observation deck of the UT Tower armed with guns, ammo, and canned food. For 96 minutes, he held the campus in a state of terror, killing 14 people that day and wounding more than 30. One of the wounded died a week later, and the other died decades later of injuries connected with his bullet. Austin police officers, Houston McCoy and Ramiro Martinez, and two other men made their way to the top of the tower without knowing who or what they would find. They cornered Whitman and then shot and killed him. But note, Robert, nobody did this for 96 minutes. Okay? Yes. Now, this is the crucial part. Later, it was discovered that Whitman had murdered his mother and his wife in the early morning hours before his rampage. Pattern? Yes. It was emplaced in the first one. The pattern. Adam Lanza killed his mother. Ramos shot his grandmother. And the the pattern is is there. Okay, so Uh, hold it, hold it, hold it. I want to go mainstream first. I want to go mainstream first. Delving into your psychological background, dealing with disturbed kids and, you know, the usual problems of bullying and all that. We have a pattern now of these shooters shoot their loved ones, those closest, before they embark on the rampage. Is there anything in mainstream psychology that would indicate this is producing the pattern? Well, I think it's the trigger for the onslaught that comes afterwards. What do you mean trigger? So, well, it is the event that uh, makes the person go berserk, basically. Right? They may control it, but for some reason, the... Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. You mean it sounded like the secret word. They're going along, going along, going along with the usual crap and all that horrible stuff, and then there's an incident... That, That's right. That's that snaps I mean. them. But is the incident programmed into them? In other words, there's a threshold below which nothing will happen. But that trigger, it's almost like getting the, the blind phone call, picking up the receiver, and then getting your secret instructions. Is that yes. what you're kind of talking yes. about? Yes, yes. Uh, you know what came to my mind uh, as, as we just in this minute? A phrase came into my mind. If so-and-so ever says that to me again, then blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The trigger. So that can be programmed. I believe it can be programmed. And people can be programmed over the telephone. That was in, in the old days, as I said now. The, the, the smartphones that kids are... Uh, and they're also being um, desensitized by video games. When I saw the entire video of the shooter in Buffalo... It looked to me just like a video game. Uh, just random shooting. The the person popped out. Boom, 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 boom. With with no, I hate to say it, but with no premeditation, just reflex. Well, that's what's you know called what I mean? training. That's why you go through training exercises. So when that's, you're in when you're in combat, you don't think, you act. That's right, and that's one of the points it's made in in that uh, article that I included there on orchestration 
of mass shootings. So the desensitization of the person, the conscience, the uh, practice. Of so you're being mean. you're saying, and this is very interesting, that these shooters, when they're in those scenarios, they're in the game, not dealing with real yeah. human beings. So it's just it's just images in, in front of them. Now, when when exactly. when 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 uh, Ramos showed up in front of the door to the classroom, classroom one one eleven and one one twelve, he said to the kids, "It's time to die." We know that yes. because the, the some of the kids, you know, re- re- repeated it. How yeah, can survived. how can you, if you're a programmed zombie, be aware enough to know that you're looking at little kids? and telling them it's time to die. He may have been talking about himself. It's time for me to die. <clears throat> oh, now that... So there are that no, 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 let's not pass that over. That's very important because when the cops are in the hall, all 19 of them, waiting for God knows what, you know, an angel to appear and say, okay, you can go through the door now, and the little kids are on the other side crying and dying and calling 911, he is sitting there quietly waiting for them to come and kill him. That's right. That's right. Like a program. And But, but the other point you made, um, that when they start shooting, having been habituated by video games, they're not seeing people. They're seeing basically uh, cartoon characters on, on a screen. It, is, it superimposes the virtual reality over real reality actual reality and they are oblivious they ju- and they just go in uh, and start writing that thrill that video games give people hmm. they, gamers gamers are totally addicted oh people. totally 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 wasn't wasn't there some uh, incident at a gamer convention a couple of years ago where a guy who lost went berserk I don't I remember it's starting to come back to me maybe Ron can hmm. remember yeah, I don't remember that one. I do remember or that uh, Ron can Google. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, 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 I have not heard of that. No, no, I, I didn't hear. Yeah, that. there was this gamer convention, and this guy lost, and he went wild. He started shooting uh, uh, people. I'm certain of. So it. Wait, wait, you so, so was my he? Memory, well, my memory may be foggy. Did any, did, it's well, possible. It's possible. I never heard of that one. Well, if it's true and we can get no. his background, no. does he fit this profile? And at the game or at the, the, the conference or whatever they call those meets or championships or whatever, convention, something triggered his trigger word and he was activated. Yes. Remember, it was the card. It was the queen of diamonds in uh, the Manchurian Candidate. If, if he was shown that card, he just went into the trance. Remember, uh, he winds up walking, yep, walking yep. into the lake. See, then, I am questioning the effectiveness of the programming, and I will tell you why, okay? Uh, I've told the story before, and I've got personal background data from as far away as Montana, where I was, and I, I, I saw this stuff going on. Um, my position was that all of the Apollo astronauts who went to the moon, those who landed, not those in orbit, but those who landed were when they came back in that 21 days of quarantine, that's when they programmed them. They basically brainwashed them. You will not remember any of the extraordinary things you really saw. Here is what you saw. Here is what you did. Here is your timeline. 
and it goes on and on and on and on. So they all came out with the same BS story. And when Ed Mitchell and I debated on the Art Bell one night for three hours or four, I forget how long it was. Um, Ed said, claimed he never saw anything interesting on the moon. And there were damn photographs of him standing right in front of all the interesting stuff. Right. So, and I sent him a photograph mm-hmm. of a UFO that he took, and that broke his conditioning. Ed, Ed, uh, Ed Mitchell and I became friends from 2004 to when I met him at the Explorers Club through uh, the year he died, and we corresponded by email. So we did, did, of... did you grapple with him with the idea of conditioning? Yes, I did. And actually, I, I feel that I broke that conditioning when I, I said to him, listen, you took a, a picture on the moon of a UFO. And he said, no, what? And I, I wrote to him, I have it. You took it. And I know when you took it. And he said, well, let's have a, con- a telephone conference tomorrow morning. Oh. Uh, call me at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'll be here. And I called him up, and he said to me, here, I'm here with a friend of mine, Bob Rusa, and uh, we're very interested. Uh, I said, okay, I'm going to send you the picture. So I hit the, the, the send button, and I heard ping. And then the next thing I heard on the phone was, I'll be damned, there is something there. Oh. And the very next day, Ed Mitchell went on UK radio, and he said, yes, UFOs are real, and uh, we know about it. And he revealed that he was born in Roswell. Right. And that he was raised as well, and that he lived there at the time of the crash. So he knew about the UFO crash since he was 13 years old. And he already had his pilot's license. Now, do you remember? Do you remember when your exchange took place or began? What year? Oh, I can tell you exactly. It was two days before the Columbia shuttle crashed. It was in New York at the Explorers Club. Okay, now I go to the back. To oh, here. By the way, I found the uh, what I referred to the gamer, the gamer shooting. Yeah. Gunman at Jacksonville yes. Landing Gaming event kills two before killing himself. Investigators say. Oh my! Wow. Okay, we, we we need to post that headline. Keith, we need to post that headline in uh, in Robert's items. So yeah, let's, I'm putting all the uh, the links in the chat. Excellent, the, excellent. Okay, so let's go back to Mitchell. What year? I you know, I don't remember Columbia. You know, I'm I'm it's late night. I think it was 2004, and I think it was February. Okay. So my my dealing with with Mitchell on the idea of ancient artificial structures on the moon, not UFOs, but structures, was uh, was earlier. I think it was a, uh, maybe a year or two earlier, maybe. It was 1996. Oh, so it was after. Yeah, this, well, and the reason that I well, know now, wait that a minute. is that, – that, that really is interesting because during the show, Mitchell said, okay, just like with you, Robert, let's send me the, the data. And I yeah. did, and I never got a response. Nothing. And I sent him a yeah. lot of interesting stuff. I hate dangling participles. The, uh, yeah, the reason it was 1996 was because a couple of weekends ago, I was listening to one of those Art Bell rebroadcasts, and the show was about the upcoming uh, debate between you ah. and Ed Mitchell. Okay. And, so he met, and they mentioned the date, you know, which was April of, uh, of 1996. By the way, the Robert, show ran. I'm I'm yeah. I'm wondering if what you sent him was a real UFO, and I'll tell you why. Because the glass at the right angle sparkles and and shines and glimmers and is prismatic and all that. 
you may have gotten a no. photo where he got the well you got to send it to me so I can look at it that's all There's well I'm, just, I'm telling you it's not because the way I found it is I I have uh, I have a collection of senior managers briefing reports from NASA okay for each of the missions and I was going through that and I read about a series of pictures he was ordered to go to a certain spot and take pictures from that spot and turn 360 degrees with a 70 millimeter Hasselblad right. in such a way that the pictures could be joined at the edges so that they could do a dinorama and create a room with these photographs right. blown up to 20 feet high so an astronaut could go in there and feel like he was on Fra Mauro. And as I was yeah, looking J at... Uh, JPL did the same thing with the surveyor images years before. Go ahead. So I know what he was supposed to do, and then I found the catalog, and I started going through all the photographs, knowing that there should have been one picture of each region. And then I saw two pictures of the same rock. Mm -hmm. But the rock in the se second picture was bigger than the rock in the first picture. So he was close... He ran up to it. He went yep. closer to it. Yep. And, I, and, and these were thumbnails. And I said, why did he do that? So I paused up with the first one. And it, it's called Saddle Rock. And the sky is blank. And then I went to the second one. And this UFO with a unique shape is in the sky. And it's not a reflection can or you reflection. Please, can you please, please send me the picture? We've got to move on, okay? The reason I bring yeah, all okay. this up, the reason I bring all this mm -hmm. up is that when, when, when Ed came back from the moon, he did as mm -hmm. all the astronauts and guys I, stay with me this relates directly to Uvalde you know we'll, we'll be back you'll see when he came back from the moon he was part of the astronaut corps and they were the public was you know we've been to the moon come talk to us so they had a million invitations and he said one night he was at a speaking thing where he was being asked you know on a panel <clears throat> of, of school kids as a matter of fact um, to talk about his experiences on the moon and so after he gave his little speech, you know, he opened up the questions. And one of the kids, he said, and this was very dramatic, he said one of the kids asked him, you know, um, Dr. Mitchell, what did it feel like to walk on the moon? And he said he stood there, opened his mouth, and nothing would come out because he realized, and he wrote all this down in a book called <clears throat> The Way of the Explorer, we're going to have to add that now to my list. He said it, it shocked him to his core that when he was supposed to respond to this kid's wonderful, obvious question, he had no feelings about walking on the moon. He said there was nothing. I, I, he said I couldn't remember any emotion, any high or low, nothing. And it so freaked him out that he went to a well-known therapist, and I know the therapist, and he tried to have himself hypnotized and regressed to retrieve what he felt like to walk on the moon. And when they were in the therapy session, every time the therapist would get close, the, the lock on his mind, the shield, the whatever program locked into place and he would jump up and leave and say, no, no, I, I don't have to underdo this. He never Richard, got hypnotized. Yeah. Let me give you uh, an insight. I learned this from a former Air Force officer who also worked with the FBI, whose father worked at NASA in the aeromedical division developing uh, the spacesuits. And he told me that 
His father was really uh, high up there in, in the science of uh, survival in outer space and the technology for building the spacesuits. And the, his father, like the astronauts, volunteered for an MK Ultra mind wipe. They were approached by NASA and told, listen, you are one of the, one of the most valuable people in the program. And if the Russians should get their hands on you and torture you, could make you talk. But we have a technology that if we, if you volunteer for this, make sure that all those secrets will be sealed and nobody will be able to get them out of you. So they actually volunteered to have this done. And it does involve, it does involve uh, drugs and it does involve hypnosis and uh, electronic devices to create that wall that um, that Ed Mitchell hit and the one that uh, Eugene Cernan broke through by painting remember if you're ta if you were indoctrinated never speak never speak about anything you saw on the moon and you pointed it out oh Alan yeah, Bean gave us Alan Bean I'm sorry I said Gene Cernan no but, Alan uh, Bean yeah. Gene, stunning Alan artwork Bean. stunning artwork right. of all the ancient stuff on the moon and the colors. Because, exactly, because it bypassed the part they controlled. That's right. They controlled his speech. You'll never but they did not control his consciousness, his art, creativity, his ability to, in other words, he bypassed the filter either inadvertently or maybe deliberately. Or maybe intentionally, yes. <laughs> there's, also, there's always plausible denial. Okay. The could you do that? I was just imagining it, right? So it's very interesting. But you know what? The human soul, the conscience, really wants to tell the truth. And when it is oppressed, either by coercion or hypnosis or drugs or alien abduction, aliens exercise a power to suppress the memories. And I said to, I said to Richard Dolan, I said, to, you know, Richard, uh, I'm really convinced that uh, the aliens have a, a, a methodology for erasing people's memories. He said, no, Bob, not exactly. They have a technology to prevent the memory from being registered in the first place. That's a very, he said, uh, sort so, of a, so it's not there. There's no hypnotic so retrieval. They, they inhibit they inhibit the nervous system processes that will result in the production of what we used to call an engram or a, a, a residue of a memory. However, the body, they block long-term memory. Yeah, you can. You can. The body you can, has the body has somatic memory, and when the body is abused, when the body is insulted, the body remembers, and it will erupt. The body will tell the conscious mind and remind it this is not right I something was done to me and eventually the eruption will come out and, and it will come into conscious uh, conscious memory there's another trick that the Air Force used with uh, people who had uh, contact with UFOs or aliens and that was to come in with the men in black and browbeat the person and debrief them for the real facts of the abduction, and I'm thinking now of uh, Larry Warren, uh, who was an Air Force uh, enlisted man in the Rendlesham Forest incident. So they grab them, they take them in, they put them in the room, they get all the real information out of them. 
then they get them again, they drug them, they hypnotize them, and under this, uh, under the drug state and hypnosis, they will stage a fake alien abduction, bring in another a fake alien, hmm. and do these things that superimposes that experience over the real experience to prevent the real experience from being. Okay, uh, hold it there. We are at the bottom oh. of the hour. We will come back to this, and then I'm going to finish my astronaut story because it does relate directly. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. Sightofmidnight.com And welcome back, everybody, on this uh, Sunday night, May 29th, Memorial Day tomorrow. Observe properly and safely, and uh, we'll see you next weekend. My guests this morning are Robert Morningstar and Ron Gerbron, and uh, we'll be joined in about half an hour by our resident metaphysician. And you're asking yourself, what is the resident metaphysician doing in a discussion about Uvalde? You will see. So let me get back to my astronaut story, okay? Because when I, when, I, when I heard this story from not only Ed himself, but also through the grapevine from the therapist who, who uh, has wanted to remain you know, anonymous, I realized that there was a reason why there'd been no astronaut you know, disagreement with the official NASA position of, of what's on the moon. Because they were brainwashed. So now that brings us to um, uh, Buzz Aldrin, who, of course, is the second man on the moon. And he's in California maybe five, six years after the landing, you know, doing more speaking. He's on uh, uh, a stage in um, the little town north of, of Los Angeles out by Everett Air Force Base where they, where they, build, they were building the shuttle and all that. And he's on the stage with a, a longtime NBC um, 
space con- uh, the, the reporter um, whose name is, is escaping me at the moment, um, but he's he's been there forever. So he's on the stage. They're sitting in these comfortable armchairs. There's a, a auditorium full of enthusiasts, NASA employees, contractors. You know, they're building the next wave beyond, you know, the uh, the Apollo mission. And so, you know, the interview starts to proceed until the reporter gets to the part of the conversation where he looks over at uh, Buzz and says, well, Buzz, you know, it's been like five years now. Looking back, how does it feel to have walked on the moon? And suddenly, Buzz Aldrin, instead of answering the question, bolts out of his chair, jumps off the stage, runs to a side door of the auditorium, runs out in the alley and throws up. And his wife, Betty, comes out and says, what the hell is going on? And he says, I I don't know. In other words, words, I think we were looking at what the psychologists would call aversion therapy. What do you think? I agree, and it reminds me of the Ludovico technique in uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? Yep. If he ever, he, they program him, if he ever felt uh, violent, uh, had thought violent thoughts or lusty thoughts, that he would be uh, uh, sick to his stomach. So, yes, uh, I agree. And as I said to you, I found out from this Air Force, uh, former Air Force officer, that his father volunteered. So they may have, I, I'm pretty sure, being good patriotic Americans and being told that NASA knew what best was best for them. They probably did volunteer, but uh, some of them were able to break out. And uh, some. Well, the question said, is, were, did they volunteer knowing <clears throat> this would happen? I, I don't think they knew that they would be sickened by it. I, thought I, don't, think they they, I don't think they knew at all. Because when I was speaking in the, um, at this conference that I had helped set up in Wyoming, I was suddenly surrounded at this conference where I decided for the first time to talk not just about the Mars stuff, but what I found on the moon for the first time in public. I was taken aside into a back room by the organizer and threatened. And it turned out that he and a whole bunch of other people were ex-CIA yeah, and he, oh, he, I, I have never been so in a normal professional setting. I've never been so scared for my literal life because these people acted like monsters. I was supposed to be an honored guest. I was supposed to be a colleague. I was supposed to be friends, and they were so angry with me for not sticking to my script, which they didn't know I'd even been working on the moon. And then I found that the wife of the, uh program organizer again in the middle of this ex-CIA rancher community there which is in Wyoming and, and Montana the wife of the guy who was pummeling me verbally and sticking his finger up in my nose and being you know you know how people can be very very intimidating yes he was, she, he was trying to they were trying to intimidate me physically to never mm-hmm. even talk about what happened yeah and then I found well, out can- hang on then I yeah, found good. out that then I found out that his wife was one of the doctors in Houston who had been, been part of the quarantine scenario. Right. And she refused 
She refused to come to the conference. She refused to come home and talk to us while we were we were actually guests in their house. I was a guest in their house. I never got to meet her because she kept, you know, five light year distance. And of course, now I know why. She was one of the programmers in that quarantine period to get the crews to forget what they really saw on the lunar surface. Right. Let's remind the public that uh, when the astronauts came down and were taken on the aircraft carriers after recovery, they were instantly putting into basically what was a bus with no wheels and sealed in there, and they disappeared for two well, weeks. Well, it was a it was a big, gorgeous, beautiful like my grandfather owned uh, aluminum. Uh, what do they call yeah. those? Uh, oh, there's a, there's a term for that. Trailer. It's it's, it's more than a trailer. Airstream. Airstream, Airstream, yes, yes. Yeah, That's what I'm here for, to toss in a word correction every, one, every 14 or See, 15 minutes. See, you do have your uses, Ron. Generalism okay, Apparently is not very much, but okay, go ahead. You can say did, anything did, you want. Did they say to you, is this common programming phrase, this meeting never happened, we were never here, and you will never talk about this ever again? Mm-hmm. Because that's a standard uh, programming uh, phrase. That was, they hit it with Larry Warren. They, John Callahan, uh, this is a, he was number two man in the FAA, and he handled the UFO uh, Tokyo 747 event over Alaska. Oh, yes, yes, famous. The, yeah, fly, the, 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 flying huge, the flying huge walnut. Yeah, that one. Well, he had the radar data, he had the pilot's report, and all of the information in uh, in the FAA. And those guys that talked to you went and talked to him, and uh, they browbeat him, they stole all the tapes, and they said that to him. We were never here, this meeting never happened, and you're never going to talk to anybody about this ever again. And I met John Callahan in Washington, D.C., at the UFO uh, conference, the press conference at the National Press Club that was uh, sponsored uh, for Leslie Keene's book, Pilots, Officers, and uh, third category, Speak Out on UFOs. Ah. So that's where I, I met John Callahan, and he was livid. That's also where I met the pilot of the Phantom Two jet from Iran that had the encounter over Tehran in uh, 1976, September 1976. Uh, when General all his Parvez, instruments went out? Yeah, General Parvez Jafari. And I told him, uh, first of all, I enhanced a photograph that was taken in Belgium of the, the Black Triangle UFO. And uh, I, I brought out another image that the thing was accompanied by a red scout ship. But uh, when I spoke to Jafari, I informed him of a case that I had learned. When I went to England, I, I bought some UFO books at the airport, and it told a report by a British doctor who was in Iran with an Iranian friend, made a pilgrimage to a holy site in the Erebus Mountains, northeast, uh, northwest of Tehran. And they were abducted. They were taken from a cabin uh, on the side of the mountain, marched by these big black-eyed men who had uh, black cloaks and black uh, 
see where their eyes, there was not a word spoken, but they understood, you're coming with us, walk this way. They walked through the darkness, they walked into a place they said felt like it had carpet, and then they were taken, and they were taken to Greece, they flew over Yugoslavia, they saw Paris, they saw London, and then they were taken back. When they woke up, they were lying on the road. Wait, 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 wait. When you say taken, you mean by a UFO? By a UFO. Okay. And by aliens. Ah. Well, you mean ETs. We don't know they're aliens. They did have eyes, okay? Yeah, ETs, okay. (laughs) So they woke up on the road, and they saw that their car, which they had parked up on the mountain, was right there near them. So without a word, they got into the car. They started driving into Tehran, and then they turned on the radio, and they thought it was the next night. And when they turned on the radio, they found out it was two days later. Oh. And they were in shock. So I went to General Parvaz Jafari. Oh, yeah. there's, there's a lot of noise in the background. Who's making noise? It's silent here. It's not you. I know it's not you. Different frequencies. I heard a but It went away. It, it's gone. Okay. okay, go ahead. So anyway, I went up to the general. I introduced myself and I said, General Jafari, you know, I know this story that's happened at the same time that this event happened. And he told me that he intercepted the UFO, that it was radiant. It was shining with all kinds of colors. And, of course, it fired something that he thought it was a missile that was going to take him out. Besides his instrumentation just uh, freezing up and the radio's not working and he couldn't arm any missiles... And uh, incredible heat suffused the cockpit. And so he turned away. He thought this white light was going to wipe him out. He saw the white light turn around and go back to the UFO. When it went back to the UFO, he got control of his plane again. And he saw the UFO descend from 25,000 feet down to the floor of the desert. And he went down and flew around it. And he could see the... The resplendent light, the rainbow lights were uh, illuminating the desert floor. Then he flew back to base. And he said to me, I I didn't tell this. In his lecture, he told about that. He said, I didn't tell this. But the next morning, I went to the Air Force Base and I commandeered a helicopter. And I flew to where the UFO had landed. And it was there where you say this happened. So... There was corroboration. He corroborated that he followed the UFO down into the region where this event of the abduction of the British doctor and his Iranian friend had occurred. And then, of course, people don't know it, but Iran and the president of Iran, uh, President Rouhani, four years ago, acknowledged the existence of UFOs, and he told about his own experience as a child. Wait, 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 wait. this is crucial, because I had yes. an argument some weeks ago with somebody who claimed, oh, it was Bassett, who claimed no head yes, of state that, has ever done that. That, that was need, the challenge he laid we, on me. We yes. need to pick that quote out, because that's what we need to send back to Steve. Yeah, I heard him say that. I said, oh, Steve doesn't know about Iran. He, the Iranian president did an on-camera interview. Then we need the tape. Was, we need the tape. Just just you and, you and, Rob, you, you and Ron talk. Okay, keep going. But anyway, uh, the point <laughs> is that when he was a boy, he was uh, on his way to school, and he saw a UFO. And he, instead of going to school, he followed the UFO. And the UFO landed at four different places, and they were all near mosques. But he said that the UFO he saw 
was not shaped like a flying saucer, but was shaped like those things that they put on elephants in uh, India to ride the elephant. So he was talking about a cubicle or... Uh, oh, my well, God, actually, a, a Vimana. Vimana, yes, exactly. But also, That's what a Vimana is, Robert. Yes, yes, but this ties in also with these re- latest reports about, observed by the Navy pilots that they said they saw a cube inside... Yes, inside a sphere. And a cube, right, of course, no, a cube is so a double was, tetrahedron... Come on. A cube. It's, yeah. yeah it's a cube. double tetrahedron, which will become relevant in the last hour tonight, okay? Yeah. Well, anyway, hmm. that's what he saw, but as a boy in Tehran, uh, you know, it must have been, what, <laughs> 60 years ago. Right. His only association was with one of those things. Was, uh, it's a saddle, I guess. Yeah, right, right. It that he put on the elephants that has a tent over it. So that was the only thing that he could uh, uh, grasp from his, his memory bank. It's also called a howdah by some people. It's a little, no, it's a little room. You know, it's like he stuck a stagecoach on the back of the elephant without the wheels. Oh, yeah, my, we saw a lot my. of them in uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, with a giant mastodon. Like yeah, exactly, exactly. It's equivalent to those things that the bearers would carry around. Okay, we need to weave this back to Uvalde, guys. Come on, Robert, make make the connection. We've spent two hours on Uvalde. Isn't there anything else going I'm on? I'm doing the whole show on Uvalde, Ron. Thank you. Okay, Robert, continue. Oh, okay. Well, the mind control element, the psychic element, uh, it all dovetails to See, I, I All right, let, let, let me cut to the chase. Ron's unhappy with me because he's a, he hates to talk politics. I'm sorry. We live in a political culture. If we have a problem, yeah. the only, only way we can solve it, unless we have an AR-15, is politically. So tonight I want, us, I want us three colleagues and friends to reach some kind of modus vivendi about how to solve this problem. Without identifying the problem, you'll never solve it. So if Robert and I are right, if we're looking at a pattern of mind control, Manchurian candidates – how how do we get to the point where there is a um, breaking point, kind of tipping point, the straw that breaks the camel's back, where we can introduce this extraordinary, outrageous idea into mainstream conversation and somebody takes it seriously? Well, for me, it's school security. You have to have... Uh, greater security in the school to make sure that student can't sneak in a gun. You have to have uh, psychological, uh, I hate to say it, psychological profiling of uh, mm-hmm. students with emotional problems. Uh, you have to look out for uh, people who are having emotional problems with their parents because it seems like that's the trigger. And let's not forget that the uh, Adam Lanza who did the Sandy Hook shooting was the son of a woman that worked for the CIA and he killed her too. Mm-hmm. And then the other weird thing about the weird thing about the, the, the shooting at Adam Lanza shooting was the name of the rifle Bushmaster. I thought that was just yes. so, so loaded. Incredibly you know? ironic. Yes. Incredibly, yes. Uh, Richard, I have to say, I have to say, I am not upset that we're talking about politics, and this is a very, this has been a fascinating um, play of details. But uh, no, I'm 
grumpy because I wanted to talk about <laughs> Mars and there's no way to work that into yes, this. Sir, so you'll I see. Waste, you'll so see. I wasted Just, all those images. No, you no. – Ron, nothing you yeah. do is ever wasted, all right? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah. anyway. You haven't tasted my cooking or you wouldn't say that. (laughs) I'm glad you warned me. So, Robert, weaving back to where we need to go, if we we establish a prima facie case that programming exists, sophisticated programming exists beyond the public purview, which is always the case, and that it really can hold, but it can be broken, and I gave you some examples in public like Aldrin – and, and Mitchell, where the break came because internally they can't reconcile the two realities, and so it breaks down, which means it's not 100%. So how many other mass shootings have they tried where the programming didn't work? See what I mean? Well, here's an interesting statistic. Uh, it's not a statistic. It's a report. In 2018, two teenagers were arrested. In Uvalde. In- for setting- exactly. In Uvalde. Exactly, as we said, in Uvalde, Uvalde seems to have been a target for a very long time and planned for a very long time. So two students Well, do you you know why? In hindsight, it's obvious. Right. It's the honey capital of the world. I'm serious. Is that? And Michael Michael McConaughey was born there. I'm serious. Oh, it's Michael McConaughey's fault. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what does the no, name Ucaldi no. mean? No, seriously, what does the name Ucaldi mean? I haven't looked it up. I haven't had time. It's it's yeah. Uvalde. U V A L Uvalde. I'm sorry. It's obviously sorry. Spanish. Yes, right. You know, so uh, you know, it sounds to me like some kind of a verdant valley or something. But anyway, um, so um, if we establish programming exists, what this is telling us the the the, the spate of recent shootings is it's damn good programming. And, of course, you eliminate the evidence by blowing away the uh, uh, shooter. Except except in Buffalo, where they got him to put the weapon down. So what do the psychologists find out by the fact that we've got a live one here and we need focus attention, national resources, on finding out what really made this kid into a you know, machine killer for 10 black people in top supermarket. Well, you know, if you, I've, I've read the manuscript and everybody's trying to paint him as a right winger. And he says that when from the age of 13 on, he was very immersed in communism. And when he had to answer mm-hmm. a, a school essay about what kind of government he would establish if he had the power, he said a left of center totalitarian government. But that's beside the point. Exactly. I think that the person or the group with the greatest responsibility and culpability for this is Hollywood. And I can't stand these Hollywood hypocrites who come out and talk about against guns and they're blowing away people in every movie. Uh, start with uh, Baldwin, who actually kills a real human being. Uh, by accident, of course, but you know Bruce Willis. Well, hang on, hang well, on. The Baldwin case is, is right here in in New Mexico. I'm yeah. obviously more than casually interested. I'm thinking that was a setup, but not for Bal. It was against Baldwin. It was somebody yeah. somebody wanted someone murdered to make a point, and there was a disgruntled set. There was open. I mean, there was the the amount of security around that set was zero. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. 
Somebody hated Baldwin and set him set up. Him up. Okay. Somebody, you know, you know, moving on, him. moving on. We don't have a lot of time, and I want to set things up on this side for when Georgia joined us so we can have the flowering of where I hope this will go tonight. Sure. Hmm. Go ahead. Okay, so back to Uvalde. It was a target of two kids in, that, in the high school where uh, Ramos uh, attended until he, what, dropped out, and they were intending to do something like this? How did that come out? Well, it was reported in, in – uh, in a, one of the Ezines Free Republic, and also cited in that document, the um, the one that I've provided, orchestrating a mass shooting. Okay. This, that 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 really, you have to go through that with a fine tooth comb. This, this guy revealed a tremendous amount of information about how these. Uh, so these I want to go back to something that is very important, because. I know, having been in somewhat similar situations when I was at CBS, you know, covering police, doing things in the street and all that, cops really do throw themselves into the line of fire. I'm trying to imagine 19 cops milling around in that hallway outside that room and doing nothing. It just just does not compute. How is this factor into your model? Part of the protocol. The other part that's really weird is that the the chief of those uh, policemen didn't have a communication device. He didn't. He wasn't in touch. That's well, the latest thing about in the New York Post. This is the that, chief of the school district who was a chief of six officers in the school district, and they put him in charge of the tactical team that was to go into the school. And you're telling me he didn't have a radio? He didn't have a radio. What the hell is that all about? So a teacher opened the door. The shooting started outside. Right. And the teacher within the school opened the door, saw the shooter, went up and went out and called uh, called 911, but then went out again, opened the door and left it open. There's a lot of strangeness involved in all of this. You know, maybe it's just happenstance. Maybe it's just people... But I think the first thing a teacher would do would be to secure the door. If the guy's outside... If there's a guy the in your yard shooting and I, you're yeah, a I didn't hear there were any shots. I didn't hear that there were any oh, shots Oh, no, no, no. He spent, he spent about five minutes. It, it was on the old timeline, 12, now it's down around well, five. But he was shooting at the funeral home across the street. There were two observers. They called 911. Uh, this is after his truck, his grandmother's truck. He ran it into the ditch because he didn't know how... To drive. He also shot at the cops that showed up. He so you're you're a teacher in the school, and you have a shooter outside. You've got a school, six hundred small kids inside, and you leave the door open. What's wrong yeah. with this picture, Robert? This is another part of the programming. It's gotta exactly. be. It's gotta be. Exactly. Hmm. It's It's global terror theater. Uh, and again, I want to emphasize, this is happening all around the world. And where they don't have guns, they have knives. In London, they have, they totally banned guns. And uh, the murder rate went up hundreds uh, mm-hmm. uh, over the last few years with knives. And I, I, I included there, I mean, the strangest one is in Norway. October 13th, Richard. Yeah. October 13th of last year, a Norwegian... 
uh, went in with a bow and arrow and he killed five people, including a cop. So if people want to kill, they're going to kill. They're going to kill with knives. They're going to kill with bow and arrows. They're going to kill with bombs. It's that killer instinct and that impulse to murder your fellow citizen that has to be uh, squelched. And no matter, no matter of uh, gun control law, because this kid passed a background check. So, and it's not outlawing AR-15s because, in fact, about four years ago, three years ago, also in Texas, two instances in Texas, some fellow attacked a Christian church with an AR-15. The neighbor looked out and saw what was happening. He grabbed his AR-15, ran out with no shoes on, and he stopped the guy. And at the uh, the Trump rally the other day in Texas, at the, the NRA rally, they brought up Jack Wilson, who was one of two congregants who volunteered to be security, uh, security worshipers at this church. And while Holy Communion was being offered, they saw this stranger come in who was acting really weirdly, and the guy pulled out a gun. He killed the priest or the pastor who was offering Holy Communion. He shot another congregant, and within six seconds, this guy, Jack Wilson, pulled out his gun and stopped the guy. So guns are good. People are bad. Bad people with guns do bad things. Good people with guns do good things. <clears throat> Robert, Robert. Uh, Amen. Well, see, I don't agree. I don't agree with either of you on this emphatically, which we'll talk about in the next segment. So, have you ever fired one, Richard? What, an AK-47 or an AR-15? Either one. No. But okay. I know how they work, and I know the AK-47 is very, very sturdy, and the AR-15 is an extremely comfortable, easy to use gun. Which yeah, and they both are incredibly tools. efficient. You will kill as many people as you can pull the trigger as fast as you can. My guests this morning are Robert Morningstar and um, uh, Ron Gerbron, our resident generalist. We're going to be joined very shortly by our resident metaphysician, uh, Georgia Lambert. And then we're going to talk about new data because I love data. I'm not so fond of speculation, but when it leads to real data, that's when things get interesting. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand.
liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of midnight. It is now Monday morning here in the land of enchantment here on the other side of midnight. My guests this morning are Robert Morningstar and Ron Gerbron. And I'm hoping when I do this, we will be joined by Georgia Lambert. And I think Georgia's there. Good evening. Good evening. Well, have you had a chance to kind of eavesdrop on our earlier conversations? And if so, what are your thoughts? Uh, I have been listening this last hour or so. Extremely interesting conversation. Well, thank you. I mean, thank my guests. I'm, I'm just here. So. Okay, thoughts. What, you know, what, what, what's your reaction? Are, are we all are we looking in the right direction here? Oh gosh, um, I'm not sure I can add to this other than throw in a couple of seemingly random pieces to add to the stew. Okay. Um, you know, uh, what's been talked about so far from, from what I've been hearing is highly probable. The idea of programming and, you know, uh, all, all that's been discussed is highly, highly probable. And that's probably the scenario. But there are other scenarios. Yep. Um, That's why you're here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just because we see patterns that seem intelligently directed doesn't always mean that they're conscious. Uh, For instance, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, We're in a time when big changes are overshadowing humanity. And this is stirring up all those forces that have held power, that want to keep the status quo. It's, it's the old guard is fighting back tooth and nail because change is eminent. And so within the mental field of humanity, there's a lot of angst. And sometimes people that are damaged, as you've been talking about, people that are weak in terms of their own integration, people that have lines of least resistance for violence, can be influenced not by anybody sending them programming, but by what's moving around in the field. There's another possibility, too, 
Um, this is probably not the case, but it is a possibility, so I'll throw it out there. Sometimes when you have an individual like a Jeffrey Dahmer, for instance, mm. that has certain proclivities uh, and they are put to death, uh, remember that in ancient times, uh, human sacrifice in the really early days was voluntary because when somebody dies suddenly, it's like a, a flashing of light on the other side or what was called the astral plane. So when someone like a Jeffrey Dahmer is put to death, um, they don't always choose to go on. They can stay pretty close to the physical realm where they're attracted to other people that have the same kind of proclivities, perhaps not as strongly. And they can overshadow those people and influence them um, standing behind their shoulder, so to speak. So, so wait, 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 wait. You're talking about a kind of a trans-dimensional mind control? Or influencing, yes. Okay. They, 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 can, they can live vicariously through what living people are experiencing. Uh, Dion Fortune, a, a, a mystic that did a lot during World War II uh, to fight some of the occult stuff that the Nazis were doing, talked about this uh, particular phenomena that a lot of it happened during World War I with um, uh, some of the, the battles in Eastern Europe where you had men on the battlefield that were very violent, um, suddenly killed and wishing to carry out that violence and continue it overshadowed living people. Oh. What I'm, what wait, I'm wait, wait, wait. Is, is this actually documented with real science? Well, no, because it's a metaphysical field. It needs to be documented, but how can you document? Well, wait, wait. There, there was a whole field of study and public acclaim. I'm thinking Upton Sinclair. I'm thinking you know, Madame Blavatsky, all that stuff. Right, right. If there was a kind of a cauldron, an experimental cauldron in World War One, where this was happening, I would have thought that the Brits, among anybody, who were into this stuff really deep then, would have taken the data, put it together, and come out with, this might be what's going on. Well... So how do Dion, you know Dion, what they Dion don't? Fortune, Dion Fortune talked about it. She She talked about, for instance, that... Part of the Nazi agenda was to return the German people to their folk gods, right. you know, the old gods. And she talked about the fact that what they didn't count on was that when you create a, a, a pole, you automatically draw up the polarity. And the minute the Nazis focused on their old gods, they activated the old gods of Britain, which were older and the whole King Arthur scenario. And they, they had people meditating, uh, envisioning angels and uh, Arthurian knights standing watch uh, on the shores of Britain uh, against the Nazis. Yeah, this is World War II. I'm thinking World War I, which would have been yeah. even more conducive. Well, what I'm... The point I'm making is that a lot of things can transpire between uh, the, the physical dense realm and what's just above it um, 
that looks like it's directed from this side, and it probably is, but not necessarily. What, what I'm trying to throw out there is or, other possibilities. Or, Georgia, or there may be a liaison. That could be too. The other thing that, that I, I've always wondered, and, and maybe you can speak to this, is don't you think that, that perhaps first contact hasn't happened because we are so heavily armed? Yes. And I'm not just talking, you know, AR-15s. I'm talking 50 megaton nukes, hypersonic missiles, you know, beam weapons. There was this extraordinary exotic technology that, that David Sarita was talking about. He said he's actually seen the classified papers because he worked a lot with uh, Lockheed Martin uh, having to do with Tesla's so-called death ray which I hate the name because that's not what it did. It basically right. is a torsion field device that when you aim it at a machine, the machine stops working. So if you aim it at an airplane and it, it stops working and people fall out of the sky and die, they, the, the weapon didn't do it. The crash resulting from the use of the in, in, you know, incapacitating weapon, that's what did it. So right. apparently, according to David's story, and again, I haven't seen the documentation, this technology was developed from Tesla's final work. He talked about it in the public press, and someone developed it. They rushed it to Roswell, and they used it to bring these UFOs, these unidentified flying objects, down so they could basically you know, retrieve them, back-engineer them, et cetera, et cetera. The public cover speculation. Hang on, hang on. The public cover story I heard was radar interfered with their propulsion, but I think this is a more accurate story. Robert, have you ever heard anything like this? And then we'll get back to you, Georgia, okay? No problem. Robert? Yes, and I'm, I'm very happy that uh, Georgia mentioned this because uh, I wanted to talk about it, but I thought it was just too far out uh, oh, for no, 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 science. No, no, no. no. We're, we're moving from mainstream psychology to where my data is leading, yeah. my personal data which is, okay. this is beyond 3D. Right. And again, if yeah. you don't analyze the problem correctly, you'll sure. never solve it. Yeah. So there go ahead. Elements. And I'm glad that she brought this up. Uh, the book that she's talking about is called The Magical Battle of Britain. Ah, yes, exactly. One, exactly. I read it when I was in England studying with the Druid Order. And it's a, a marvelous account of spiritual warfare. Okay, stick it, uh, uh, Robert, sorry, stick it in the chat so Piggy can post it for, for Georgia. Okay, okay. The Magical Battle of Britain by Dion Fortune, a fantastic writer. Uh, now, why the British didn't compile all of this and publish it in a peer review article is because it's occult science. And it's right. in the house. MI6, MI5, uh, the Brotherhood, the Invisible College keeps all these things very close to the breast. And another element is the adversary. And I've been informed by my contacts in uh, Texas, in Dallas, that uh, Hamas in the Islamic Brotherhood is working down there. And they're very deeply steeped in magic and uh, conjuration of jinns. And so attachment of an evil spirit to a person is also facilitated by drugs 
and alcohol. Do you know where the word alcohol comes from? It comes from the Arabic. Mm. The Arabic the Arabic word is al-ghul, and that evolved into alcohol. Oh, my God. Robert, Robert. Hang on, hang on, hang on. There was a very anomalous, incredibly interesting, weird star in the Northern Hemisphere named in Arabic, because it blinks. It was the first star that the ancients looked at, and the damn thing didn't stay lit. It kept going out and coming back and going out and coming back. It's called Algol. It's called the, it's called the demon star in Arabic. Demon star. Yes, because I pronounce it as Al Ghul. Yeah. Because that, uh, that's the way I saw it spelled in in Arabic, and the Ghul is the same word that we use for Ghul, G H O U L. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that when you imbibe alcohol, you are drinking an evil spirit, and that evil spirit will take you over. <laughs> It's it's opening a door. I think it's a little more complicated, but uh... no, but uh, but drugs do open doors. They open the nervous system to uh, other frequencies, energies, right. and demonic possession is reality. It, it is not uh, hocus pocus, uh, folklore, or superstition. See, I, hang I, on, I, hang on, guys, hang on. I, I think was, if 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 we, if we were to get serious attention on this. Because I think we're approaching this problem from the wrong end. If this is part of a coordinated plan to basically ultimately wind up destroying the United States, we need to find out who's behind it. And we need to encompass all the possible tools or weapons they are using, including enlisting. And I hate the term demon. It's like, you know, branding is everything. As I was telling Cynthia last night, I think we need a whole new language to approach this from a scientific, not religious, please, not religious perspective. This has nothing to do with religion. This is about a physics that allows someone, when they die, to intrude back into this reality, pick up somebody else, and use them as a weapon, if they want. Well, there is there is a jargon, and it exists inside the deep state, and I'm going to share it with you. I have a document in my possession. It's called Estimate of the Situation of Flying Saucers. Oh, that's Ruppelt. I was going to say that's very old. That's Ruppelt, isn't it? Before him, before Ruppelt. This is the the report that was given to Vandenberg Ah, after after the the Roswell crash and the recovery of of the craft and a a living uh, animate entity that was debriefed for two years. And the MJ-12 uh, document lists four, four types of extraterrestrials. Um, two are humanoid, hands and legs and heads upright. Third kind is kind of a cryptid. It says uh, these, these creatures come from, um, from a planet or a place where evolution took a totally different evolutionary path and uh, more like insectoid. But the most interesting thing was the fourth one, which they called transmorphic entities. And they described transmorphic entities as entities that are composed of pure mind energy that are curious about this realm, this world, and that they can penetrate and come here 
and transform themselves into anything they want. They can materialize or dematerialize, and they can materialize as an animate being or an inanimate object. And the most interesting phrase in the document that I, I found was, only once in the history of MJ-12 has a member of MJ-12 had the privilege of standing in the presence of a transmorphic entity, shapeshifters. So mm. they are real. It's the ultimate. So wait a minute. This is an official report in 1940, between 47 and 49, right? 49. And it exists. People can read it. We have to post it. No, it's a secret document, and I hold it very close to my breast, and I share what I uh, glean from it. To, uh, so it can't be vetted? In other words, we have to take your word. Yes, I'm you very hardcore about this stuff. You know that, Robert. Yeah. Too bad. That's too bad. Yeah. Well, then, oh, hang on, hang on. We will move I'm not on. We will, it. We will, we will move on because it's okay. a story. It's another story, okay? Another one. Yeah. The reason they came here is that Nikola Tesla let out a beam that was so powerful and traveled faster than the speed of light, and it disrupted their planet. It disrupted their gravity and their ecosystem and their communications. And they tried to send the message back in 1899, turn off that machine. <laughs> Tesla couldn't interpret it. But he did say yeah. that he had messages from outer space. So that is That's also true. in this document. So, uh, well, hang on, hang on. We can corroborate a little part of this because when we started our Oumuamua experiments, our transmissions, which, Robert, I presume you're aware of? Yes, of course. Okay. What we got back on Sarita's radio, on my radio, on uh, Thomas's radio, on a bunch of them, was the same kind of static that appears to be highly compressed code that Tesla reported in Colorado Springs all over a century ago. Yeah. Was that these guys trying to say, turn off the bubble machine? Yes, and then, of course, the other part is... Uh, It'd be nice if we could see the document. How come you have a secret document you can't share with anybody, but the FBI isn't going to drop by your apartment with you announcing you got it? Because they Good like point. me. Because they because like I don't you. go bandying the whole document about, and I am very selective about the information that I put out. About Doesn't this document it, deserve to be in front of the uh, congressional hearings? That that dog and pony show, they're full of crap. And anybody who believes anything that's coming out of this government <laughs> is a fool. <laughs> well, Robert, Robert, line. Robert, take a deep breath, take a deep breath. We all taking, wait. Hang on. We all admit that hearing was a crap, but it was the beginning of something, and it's the where the something is going that I want to talk about. Listen, it's the beginning of nothing. Some deep state entity owns the UFO, owns the UFO technology, hides the fact that the United States has been working with a race of aliens since 1954, hand in glove, covering up. 30,000 cattle mutilations, covering up the abduction and the rape of countless women and men. Because if, the, if you're abducted as a man and held down and semen is taken away out from you, that's rape, okay? 
So these entities are not good, and the people who are in cahoots with them are not good, and they're a bunch of freaking liars, and they are the enemies of the American people. The U.S. government is not the friend of the American people. They made a treaty with the aliens in 1954, and they allowed them to kidnap up to 50,000 people a year so that they could harvest stem cells, DNA, do genetic engineering, but they had to report them they, because we needed to know who was a real missing person and a victim of human crime and who was an abductee. But these entities do not hold, they don't keep treaties. They don't know loyalty. They don't know honesty. They're out only for themselves. And this government has lied to the American people for 75 hmm. years. Well, well hang on, hang on, it. hang on, hang on. I don't want to divert this totally into a UFO thing yet. But if, okay. if, if, if we made an agreement, and it would have been the Eisenhower administration That's right. and probably his mm-hmm. meeting on the uh, tarmac, what was it, Holloman Air Force Base, the so-called yeah. where he was supposed to be golfing, and actually he was having a high-level ET meeting, et cetera? I, I thought it was a dental appointment or something. Yeah. Dental appointment. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it, 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 it was a dental. Okay. So if we made a deal back then, Robert, do you understand the state of our technology compared to these guys back then? Oh, yeah, it was very primitive. Did we, we hang on, hang on, hang on. That, that was a very simple question. Yes or no? Yes. All right. We have the equivalent of, of, of slingshots, and they have the equivalent of atomic howitzers back then. Did we make the agreement because it was the only way to forestall something much more catastrophic? Yes, the only thing we had against them is the atomic bomb. But you can't use that. That's right. You know, I've seen too many movies. (laughs) Well, you could use it against an alien uh, invasion, an alien entity. And And, I feel that. And and, and, and kill how many humans or Americans or whatever. Anyway, here's here's my point, okay? The technology Mm. that we now possess in in the secret space program, documented in the papers that I've had some access to and David has a lot more and and in other words we know there's this alternative physics and technology which can accomplish almost anything and humans have control of it in other words the balance of weaponry between those guys then and those guys and us now is totally different why are we abiding by this stupid treaty if it exists allowing victims in our own culture when we don't have to, unless the deal is not just because of duress. Our guys, some of our guys, decided, okay, the best way to achieve power and to achieve ultimate control is to make a deal with the devil, and so they're fully on board with all of this, and they're active agents, not just acting under duress. They are now. That's what I feel. Hmm. They can't extricate themselves from the big big lie that they've perpetrated. And revealing all of this at once would collapse science. Evolutionary theory would go right out the way. Yeah, but that's been the argument for 100 years, okay? But it's a good argument. No, it isn't. No, no it isn't. Yes, it is. It's the argument of Brookings. No, it's not. Because obviously neither No, is... it's not the argument of Brookings. Yes, it that is. Was, that was... You're talking about social order, and that's not the same thing 
as the collapse of science. No, Brookings said, Brookings said, Brookings said, and we're going to take the last uh, 10 minutes to about five minutes about the hour. Brookings said Mm -hmm. that scientists were the most vulnerable of the population in terms of extraterrestrial contact and acknowledgement because they would then, because it said they would then realize that all they were doing is replicating what somebody else had already done and found, and they would curl up and never go to work again. That's that the Brookings argument. That's the, but that's what you just told me. You said the end of science. It's not the end of science. No, you brought up Brookings. You brought up Brookings. I said the end of science. It's, not, it's not the end of science. Reason. No, it's not. Of course not. Of course it's not. Is that science is based on a materialistic view of the universe. No, it isn't. Science is, based not, on a, uh, science is based on a logical, not, rational process having nothing to do with limitations. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yes, it, it is. Claims, it claims it, that, but it's not doing that. Science denies the spiritual reality. Science denies the existence of the soul. Science denies the existence of God, angels, and other realms of being. So, exactly. It sets, a, it, sets a, it sets forward pre-existing parameters within which anything that's considered legitimate has to fit. In other words, they speculate away their way into a box and then they won't allow anything to be added that isn't part of that package. Okay, guys, I think it's time to call on Superwoman. I mean, uh, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think that, that humanity has undergone crises of consciousness before. I mean, we survived Copernicus, you know? Yes. See, see, to me, the whole Brookings thing, when I really got into it years and years and years ago, I realized Brookings was a con. What they used Brookings for was to convince all the co-scientists not to get involved because, oh, it's a dangerous realm, and they loaded fear porn in it. They didn't let the Mm -hmm. process evolve because it's all about control. It all goes back to who is in cahoots with extraterrestrials or even extra-dimensionals that gets back yeah. to the idea of demons, who it literally can take control of parts of our population and do things for those that are materially here that can't be done any other way, and it's all with no fingerprints. And I have to agree with, with Robert and, and Ron on the fact that orthodox science does not admit other dimensions at least so far of course it uh, does it, it, string it theory it's got 12 of them no 11 yes no, but, no, no, different but use of the I'm word talking, dimension go ahead okay. georgia yeah. yeah yeah um it it doesn't uh take into account uh other realms of existence intelligent beings angels the fact of the soul as robert said uh and mm-hmm. and like ron said you know, if it's out of their wheelhouse, they discount it. That's why we've got, you know, 18-foot skeletons all over the the planet being discovered and disappearing because it doesn't fit their paradigm. Yeah, but that's a control program. That's to keep us from knowing. And then they get the bigger picture. Why are we trying – why are we kept in the dark? Why are we being treated like mushrooms? And we've got one half hour at the, when we get past this bottom of the hour break to tackle some really crucial new evidence – from Uvalde that plays directly, I mean directly, into some of the most far-out models that we've been sharing all night. So, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. The conversation, if you thought it 
kind of unusual up to now, is about to get very, very strange. But the good news is, we have data. We shall return. Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour on this Sunday night. Next weekend, um, we're going to be doing something really intriguing. There's new pyramid research data on the physics and fundamental constants and the interaction of pyramids and matter and consciousness. And we're going to be going into that next week. And I'll uh, tell you about Saturday. Uh, we're working on a couple things that we're... Uh, well, I'll be able to announce that probably uh, later in the, in the week in terms of banners and all that. Anyway, back to tonight's conversation. What I want to do now is I, I want to go to a um, – uh, where am I here? I'm hitting the wrong button. Don't do that, Oakland. Don't do the wrong button. Oh, I hit the wrong button. Okay. i got to wait for this to recycle just one second. Okay. There we are. All right. I want to read to you from a document – that Barbara Honiger sent to me last night, uh, just before the show, and I wanted to have her part of last night's show to to you know relate this, but she was packing for a week long trip to ancient sacred sites in Scotland, so we'll have to do with the uh, document she sent. This is from uh, John Alexander's book back in 2012, UFOs, Myths, Conspiracies, and Realities. And everybody here, of course, knows who John Alexander is. For the audience, he is a uh, weapons expert. He is a non-lethal weapons expert. Uh, I believe he is attached to the U.S. Army. He has a degree in parapsychology, one of the few when it was uh, brand new way back when. And he's been involved in these fields and phenomenon 
for most of his career. This is what John wrote back in 2012. Only once in all of the dozens of briefings that I gave to high-level military intelligence officials and military officers on UFOs slash UAPs based on Alexander's study of the field, that was all in you know parentheses, did I get a negative response? Alexander says, on this one occasion, things turned ugly. After I briefed General Max Therma, who at the time was the vice chief of staff of the Army, the number two four-star position in the Army, he asked me to also brief the Board on Army Science and Technology, a study group that was examining the Army use of space. Heading this committee was Dr. Walt LaBerge, an eminent scientist who had previously served as the principal undersecretary of defense for research and engineering as undersecretary of the army as the assistant secretary of the air force and was then a vice president of Lockheed Martin. Among his many accomplishments, LeBerge was the co-inventor of the Sidewinder air-to-air missile and had led the team that built NASA's Mission Control Center in Houston. His distinguished career had brought him in close contact with many advanced and highly classified developments in the U.S. space program. Attending the meeting were about 10 scientists and Dr. LaBerge. After about an hour, I ran through my briefing and informed them the universe was probably not built the way we thought it was and that UFOs deserved serious consideration. As I concluded, LaBerge asked the group of scientists and engineers if they had any questions. There were a few pretty good ones from the attendees who seemed to be all generally interested. Then the most amazing thing I have ever witnessed in a scientific meeting took place. Livid, LaBerge slammed his hand down on the table and began screaming at me. This is, you know, at Alexander. His first comment was, you're not supposed to know that. That's what you learn when you die. So, ladies and gentlemen, what could he have meant by that? What he meant is that John Alexander knows that there is a spiritual reality. John Alexander is also a black magician, and he's practiced magic for a long time in concert with Michael Aquino, who set up the Church of Satan in California. And so he practices the occult arts. I'm in touch with John Alexander in the group that you know uh, I'm a member of. Mm -hmm. And a very, very tough curmudgeon, as as I would say. And he's uh, not easy to deal with. But he doesn't tell you what he said that made uh, LeBurge explode like that. No, he doesn't. Know that until until you're dead or until you die. It's obviously the existence of the spiritual world that UFOs can go from materialization into dematerialization, and as I said to you, transmorphic ent- entities, transmorphic entities are pure mind matter that can manifest in this direction and turn themselves into anything that they wish to turn into. Well, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Without we, the evidence, uh, oh, without, without, Robert, without the evidence, this is just your assertion, okay? 
So what? Everything you've been saying is an assertion too. No, it's not. Oh yes, it is. Go yeah, read, yeah, even it, go read so Ed. Go read Ed Mitchell's book, which is why it's now I'm listed about, on the it's site. Talking about LeBurge and John Alexander yes, yes, and the. Yes. And the use of black magic, and the use of black magic in secret science. That's what we're dealing with, and they are loath to it. See, you said the magic word, which is science. None of this is spiritual. Let me say that again. None of this is spiritual. It's all physics. It's Robert, Robert, please let me, Robert, let me speak. Thank you. I've given you a lot of time. None of this is spiritual. It's the physics, and who knows how to work the physics better. So let's kind of drop the religious thing and look at ways that science and real physics, real questions, real scientists can crack this problem and change the destiny of the human race. Because in current parlance, we're toast. If some alien or ET entity with the cooperation of terrestrial government agents, is facilitating these events through a technology which can draw evil personas back through the dimensions to inhabit or vampire-like suck away the consciousness of their you know, uh, target and then take over and do these things. Unless we know how this works, we'll never be able to stop it. I think that Whitley Strieber is a genius, and one of the most important things he ever said in communion and other books was he believes that there is a technology on the other side of death. Hello? I agree. I heard a click. I, I thought we lost the connection. No, it's oh, no, that was the person that I'm sorry. The most, brilliant thought, the most brilliant thought that came to me out of communion was there is a technology on the other side of death that makes it possible for entities on the other side of death to manifest here in our dimension. And that's the perfect definition of a transmorphic entity. Many people who encounter UFOs have the feeling that they are living things. So a UFO may be a manifestation of a being as well as transporting beings, you see? So I don't think that any materialistic scientist or physicist is ever going to crack the code. But see, Robert, then you're acknowledging that the, the, the you know there's been this schism, and the, never the twain shall meet. We will not come because real science is all of it, not just this dimension, but all the oh, other dimensions. True, that the real science involves all sides of the coin, the face of the coin, the back of the coin and the edge of the coin. That's the part that everybody misses. A coin has three sides. Yeah, but the ultimate control of this knowledge is ultimate power, and that's why we're back to to turf, where the in-group doesn't want the out-group to know they can do these things and these things are real. So you put up the smoke screen, it's all fake, it's all fake, it's all fake, and here we are. We're dealing with a problem that, frankly, I think is extra-dimensional. And I do that because I have been – nothing's of course, Robert, because I have spent three years since Robin's death trying to figure out what the hell happened that she's no longer here. And I knew I was going to be with her 
when I was nine. So against that backdrop, I have a lot of very deep, almost existential questions about what are we all doing in this place? And are okay, we, wait a minute. And, hang on, hang on. And are we in fact trapped? I hang on. Are we in fact trapped by some other extraterrestrial force into living what we think is life, but in fact it's their version of life, and we are cocooned from reality in the universe? Yes, we are. We are trapped. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. Let, I, I want to let Ron But I've been hanging on. So I want to I, say something. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you I'm letting you talk. Just let not, me okay. okay. Deep breath. I'm frustrated. Go. <laughs> Why? Go. It's your turn. Ah, good. All right. I want to tell a personal anecdote that has to do with my mother. I don't tell anecdotes very much, but wait a minute here. This is relevant to what you're saying there because I, I, think, you're, I think you're both – Less, less in your case, Robert, running around, running around in a caucus race, just chasing each other's tails. It's uh, the original name of, for science, what it was called up until the 19th century, was natural philosophy. Exactly. And it was Think taught, about that for a And it was That's taught not, all the way down in high school. Funny. It was taught. Ron, you can't. You can't say go ahead and talk and then Ron, stop Ron, after Ron, four words. Ron, get off your damn high horse and we talk of a conversation. When actually, I was, I'm when sitting I, on a brick step. When I was in high school in Springfield, Massachusetts, my high school had an observatory, and we had a course of study. This is the 1960s natural so philosophy. Mine. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I'm trying to back you up. So please. Take yeah, well, I'm not telling. Yeah, well, let me. That was just the setup. Okay, fine. Thank you. The uh, and my yes, Hogwarts had an observatory as well. <laughs> and we talked about natural philosophy. Uh, the uh, uh, Ron, Ron, you have to move. Was, we we have lost what? your signal. You have to move. So you're not going to do that to me. I haven't moved at all. The uh, and the, the signal's strong all night. I hear you. All right. Uh, Go ahead, Ron. Uh, my mother, before she died, had an incident uh, a month or two before that was clearly indicating that she was about she was about to play the uh, I She was uh, she came back in the ambulance and I talked to her there and she was not present at the time. In other words, this was a very clear-headed woman. You know, she was not delusional or dimensional uh, or demented or anything like that. And yet the person that I talked to in the ambulance was someone else. And this was the day after that big earthquake in Tokyo that, um, you know, collapsed the trains and everything else. Right. Remember, this was some years ago uh, that this happened to happen. And I was talking to another person. While my mother was off doing whatever astral thing was being set up or going on, someone else walked in. It was a genuine walk-in encounter. I knew it was not her. And I said, uh, she kept saying, where am I? Where, what is it? And, I, and we, I said, you're home. You're home. And she looked even more, no, no, no. Where am I? Where am I? Clearly, and I think this was someone that was dispossessed of their body, by that uh, that horrific earthquake in um, Japan, 
were just because of the timing. I have no idea if that's what it was, but it was a different person inhabiting her body because it was temporarily empty. So, so your mother became a vessel for someone who just died in the Tokyo earthquake in your model. Yeah, yeah. Which and all of that passed. Sure. I mean, the voice was different. The mannerisms were different. Everything was different. You know, this was a different person in there. And when did and when did your mother come back? The next day. So it took hours and hours and hours. Yeah, it wasn't like an extended period of time. I mean, like I said, I talked to her in the ambulance. She went off in the ambulance to the hospital to be checked out and stuff. And when they, you know, when they sent her home, uh, she was fine. Well, I'm just wondering if this was going on in her, was she aware of another consciousness? If not, no, no, she didn't. She didn't remember anything. Hang on. If not, why not? See, I want to know how this works. Because there's so much noise out there about how it works. And I've been assiduously following this trail, obviously well-motivated for three years, and I've got some data. And the data is very consistent, but it doesn't comport with a lot of other so-called data. And so this firsthand acknowledgement is confirming, Ron, something I've been following that I'm not going to talk about for a while yet. Okay? Mm. So, But you're not alone in terms of what might have happened, happened. Richard, I'd like to say something about uh, Sure, go ahead. go ahead. You said, you said, you know, what happened to Robin? Robin's container dematerialized, and I'm using that term intentionally, because there is something called the Yellow Book, which is an alien book. I know two people who have read it. One is an Air Force officer who was with the Foreign Technology Division, and the other one is the report from... There's a more noise going on in the background again. Where is the yellow book? Who, who, who wrote it? Who published it? This is a book that was entrusted to the U.S. government by the aliens. Oh, okay, okay. Just need to know. And uh, the people that I know that read it were going through... It, it's a holographic book, and it's really strange because... You can only read as much of it as you can stay awake. Okay, that's and it's a holographic book. It tells the story of the universe, and it refers in the first three chapters to containers and the overseeing of the containers by this yes sort of the containers. Mm-hmm. They got to the third chapter. They realized that the containers that they were talking about were, we're human beings. And that it is the soul that is the content. And so when this Dr. LeBarge screamed out, you're not supposed to know that <laughs> until you're dead. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the knowledge that there are several races of extraterrestrials here. And some of them are here to harvest human souls because they are using human souls as a source of energy for their technology. And that's a very terrifying thing. Which goes back to the 1999 movie, The Matrix. Hollywood. Uh, telling true us enough. This is, listen, guys, this is, way, this is 1950s UFO talk. You're breaking up horribly, Ron. You've got to move. Just rotate the phone. Uh, rotate the phone. That's easy. It's easy for me. Um, it's the best I got. 
that's 1950s UFO tech that you're you're both talking about. It was a it was a set of perceptions, and I don't know how much of that is bogus information. Exactly, it but got... it needs to be put on the table, and then you figure out a process to eliminate the noise and amplify the signal. Go ahead. Probably, you like Plan Nine from Outer Space. Oh, I love that movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's that's what I'm. The fifties were where we had a decision point to go: the truth or, you know, servitude. Now we got another set of choices, and I'm much more sanguine about the hearings than you are, because I think we're going to we're going to restart history. Except this time, we all get to participate because we have these little devices. Washington is not in a vacuum; it's now immersed in a social bubble where you should have seen that hearing masticating into the next phase where this kind of stuff down the line will have to be introduced. It's inevitable to me. Well, I think I mentioned that somebody owns the UFO and it's not the U.S. government. Now, when you say that, I have no idea what right. you mean. Okay, I'll tell you what I mean. Because in 1969, the Condon report was uh, hatched uh, a fake report, so that the Air Force and the U.S. government could get out of the UFO business. And Richard Nixon decided to divest the U.S. government's interest and uh, oversight of UFO by by transferring oversight and control of it to a corporate entity. And the corporate entity has its own security uh, division, that is the acronym DISC, Defense Intelligence Security Command. Mm. So there's a thing called the Torbit Doctrine. Yeah, I've read it a long time ago. Yeah. Well, that's that's where he reveals that uh, the divestiture by the U.S. government of the UFO issue and control of the information and development, it went into the secret space program. I believe that DISC, Defense mm-hmm. Intelligence Command is the core of the secret space program. Okay, we only have 10 minutes. I want to go back to Uvalde because I have developed some new information which is going to put, I hope, the capper on this, and then I want each of your reactions, each of the three of you. It bothers me intensely that this is such a cluster you-know-what. Whoever masterminded this really blew it at so many different levels that even the mainstream is asking really good questions now which does not happen often. So to me, this is going to collapse, and what are we going to find at the, at the center? Okay, when they finally came out with the final, final, final timeline, I took one look, and it was like, oh, my. Because even one of the correspondents said, isn't it weird? What a coincidence. You have 19 children who are killed and 19 Officers stood outside that door waiting for them to die. And I thought to myself, well, this is the beginning of perception. So I'm looking at the timeline, and I realized then, according to the now official timeline, at, 12, at 11.30, roughly, this all started when he crashes his truck. You know, he shot, shot his grandmother you know, a few minutes earlier, races to the school in the truck he doesn't know how to drive, you know, puts it in the ditch, gets out with the gun, shoots across the street, spends several minutes outside, and then we heard the story of the teacher who, under some bizarre compulsion, leaves the damn door open when there's a shooter right outside. Anyway, so things diddle around, diddle around, diddle around. Finally, at 12.03 in the official timeline, there's a cell phone call 
from inside classroom 111. Little, you know, fourth grader saying, please help send the police. At 1215, the battle group, the, um, the uh, border patrol uh, team, the assault team, they arrive with gear, et cetera, et cetera. And at 1250, everybody, the officers, the 19 officers from the local, you know, uh, cops and the, the feds go in, break down the door, shoot the guy and try to stop the bleed out of all those students lying on the floor for, you know, over 30 minutes. How much time elapsed between that first call and the actual penetration of the room, 111? 47 minutes. 19.47. The signature of hyperdimensional physics, connection between dimensions, connection between dimensions of consciousness, all those guys were part of a hyperdimensional ritual whose purpose was, and that's for the rest of you to complete. Robert, you first. I would direct uh, people to the uh, article next to the last now, since I had something about Moloch yep. and the sacrifice yep. of children, the ancient god and a fire ritual. And so the the analogy holds because these children were sacrificed with gunfire. We say he fired the shot, he fired the mm-hmm. rifle. Mm-hmm. So and then it's, it's odd. The the cults were originated in Canaan, but it spread across the yep. Middle East and very and several societies tried to expunge it. Ultimately, it wound up in Libya, and the Romans tried to do it. But the strange thing is that in the last year, there's uh, there's an exhibit at the Colosseum in Rome, and they put up an effigy, a, a real bronze giant statue of Moloch. So I believe that there is an occult organization on this planet that's waging war, not just against the United States, but against humanity, and this is one of their signatures. I kind of, you know, go along with that, Robert. Ron? Ron? Uh, I'm here. We can't hear you. At least I can. Robert. Nothing's coming through. Nothing's coming through. It's a little garbled. You stop talking. Talk. I'm yeah, I'm trying, but I keep Go ahead. Ron, we 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 we, 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 we cannot we, we we cannot hear a word, okay? So let's we'll come I'll come back to you, Georgia. Go ahead. There's no point in me sticking around if you can't hear me. Can Georgia? you hear me? No, we hear you now. Georgia? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that the the direction of this is highly probable, um, but it's not concrete. There there are other ways to look at it, uh, and also I would I would like to remind people that if there is some kind of battle going on. Uh, interdimensionally, um, you know, things are, are are never just one-sided. 
there are guys out there and certainly here um, that are doing bad things. But there are also those forces that have humanity's spiritual evolution in mind, and they're out there too. And let's not discount those. Uh, that's, that's exactly what I thought we would get tonight, which is <clears throat> there are two sides to this. But if you don't understand you're in a war, and I think we're in a war, I think we've been in a war for some time, and this is a manifestation. See, the best way to, to, to do in what we're doing here is not to invade. It's to make us kill ourselves off. And when you look at Good all point. the crises that we're under threat right now, any one of them could tip us over the edge. I mean, the whole Ukraine thing, where we're projecting now millions of people could die of starvation in Africa and the Middle East because of the lack of Ukrainian grain that can't get out of Odessa. In other words, is this part of a bigger coordinated strategy because now is the crucial time when the you-know-what is hitting the rotating kitchen appliance? Ron, thoughts? Ron? Did we lose Ron? I guess we did. I was going to say, can anyone hear me? No, we can't. I'm sorry. It, it's horrible. Someone's obviously blocking me. All garbled. Yeah, it's all garbled. Well, let me say this. Richard, you asked me what's, what's the reason, why would they do this to Evaldi? It's to plant, plant hatred in the community, to turn the parents against the police, against the society, to turn people against each other. And by uh, unleashing uh, widespread hatred, they are trying to dissolve our society, our civility. So that's what I think is the main purpose of these events, to create horror. And, and the only thing we have to then figure I out I have is, no... Gr- yes? I have no great... If I'm walking all the way out in the street in order to get this. So well, now it's I'm better. In the middle. But we only, we only well, have... Of course it is, but I can't stand in the middle of the street all night. Uh, the uh, and I don't have any more bars. And I, uh, let me go. The, wait, the, see. Sorry, guys. Hey, this has been a fun evening. We'll do this again. Maybe not under such serious critical circumstances, but we will do this again. My apologies to Ron because of the communications problems. I want to thank Robert. Brilliant uh, information. Lots to think about. Georgia, as ever, you are the leavening. You are the seasoning. You are the rays of light that makes things cohere. Until next weekend then, same time, same bat channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. Mm-hmm.